This is Unfiltered. Episode 206 for September 28th, 2016. The face-off fierce, the contrast unmistakable, Hillary Clinton's planned attacks. Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but that is not the facts. Against Donald Trump's freewheeling jabs. She's got experience, that I agree, but it's bad, bad experience. Tuning in a record 80 million plus viewers watching pivotal moments that could last until Election Day. Uh, Coming up this week on the Area Code Podcast, we'll be covering Area Code 206, which is home of the Seattle-Tacoma area of Washington State. This area code encompasses a population of over 2.5 million people. Uh, Chase? Yes, Chris. That's next week. Well, no, this is 206. Yeah, no, I I know, I know, yeah. 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 That was our backup plan if we didn't get enough patrons for this show. I thought we were a go with the area code ah, podcast. No, we're going to give it another week and see how things go. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the debate. Woo! <laughs> yeah, Welcome that, to Unfilter. Hello, everybody. Yeah. That's Chase. I'm Chris. And this week, we will be getting into the debates, a debate breakdown, if you will. Oh, man. Now, don't worry, though. Oh, man. I, I know we've probably already scared everybody else away that's not interested in the debates, but if you're not interested, we have a super oh, important yeah. cyber. Uh, we're going to do, I think we should call it now, The Cyber. The Cyber. <laughs> We're the gonna, cyber. We're going to do the cyber. All right. Uh, then uh, there is, I think, um, pivotal clips that we need to play for you in the Syria category. Uh, okay. Plus, right. I have a dog in the backyard that I have asked to bark from a time to time in, during the show. And I have some breaking news to share with, 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 or with our fans. Fox or CNN style? Oh, you want to do it now? You tell me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's do it. You know what? Let's do a CNN style. I love the CNN style. This is CNN breaking news. Because it's breaking news. It's not really a Fox News alert. So, yeah, okay. you know, yeah, that, fair yeah. enough. So, I don't know if I told you this, Chris, but I'm leaving my job that I'm at right now. What? Hold on, everybody. Hold on a second. Uh, we, have a, we have a news yeah. alert here. Yeah. Uh, Chase Nunes is, uh, lo- is, is, is I'm not leaving. losing it. He's <laughs> leaving his job, and uh, we uh, hold on. We're learning more. Uh, he is. He's actually Turkish. Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, Chris. No, I'm sorry. There was a delay on <laughs> All that. Right, tell me what's going on. Um, I'm going back to Como. Now, Como, for those of you who may be new to the show, is a local ABC affiliate. Damn it. I was going to... Uh, it's code. <laughs> no, it's Really? <laughs> no, it's not. Knockout. Uh, knock. Oh, no. So that's, so that's awesome. I knock mean, out I know Missouri. you really enjoyed that job. Plus, it gave you some really unique insights into the media coverage. Yeah. But but the, the, here's the kicker. So I while I technically did work at Como uh, before, I didn't work for Como. Um, I was a, a corporate person, if you will. I I, I, I did IT work uh, for the uh, the corporate people there, and uh, so I, I I took a step away and uh, started a, another job working in IT. You know, eight to eight to four. You know, your standard fare. Yeah, and I, I and it's. I always actually thought that was kind of a good move because, you know, you're like, oh, well, the parent company thing is uh, not quite my scene. I'm going to get out of here. Right. right. And, and you know what, though? The people at Como are amazing. And yeah. I, I did take you on a tour, right? Yeah, we went through. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. So we went through it was a tour. just over a year ago, actually. Yeah. So went through a tour. The new studio's open. It's been great. Um, and then I got a phone call over the, uh, not this, yeah, this past weekend from the chief engineer. He reaches out to me and he, and he says, hey, Chase, uh, 
you know, are you uh, are you interested in chatting about a broadcast engineer position that we have opening up? Mm. And I'm like, sure, I'll chat. Hello, uh, everybody. Hello. Uh, so so we chatted, and uh, here 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 it is. Uh, I, I gave notice uh, at my current job yesterday, um, and I shared. Thank you, thank you very much. And uh, so I'll be I'll be heading back. Uh, I'll be working for an act the actual station as a broadcast engineer. So I'm I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess just for people have in their mind, I would say as far as impact of the show, that doesn't really. Uh, I think one of the things that we've always tried to uh, walk the line on before is uh, you can you know you have some insights into sort of how it works behind the scenes. Right. But uh, there's probably some situations where you have to express some sort of level of discretion, which. What we won't uh, we won't push you on, but in the past I thought that worked really well, is because uh, you know you being down there, it's sort of uh, it's sort of the perfect it's sort of the perfect day job for somebody who's doing a show like this. Well, you know, I, <laughs> there's so many times when I when I was working there before, I would I would ping Chris uh, when a, there was a breaking news. Yeah, I situation. wasn't going to say unless you wanted to, but no, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I could definitely talk about that. I mean, for sure. I mean, we would get heads up when ABC News, for example, and there was times where I was like, "Hey, is is this story? Is this getting any traction down there?" Because yeah, I'd be like, "No." No, not really. No, it's it's dead as door. But there are times when we would get alerts when ABC News was going to preempt programming on, on a major situation. And then I tell Chris, hey, Chris, make sure you turn on your TV at this exact minute. Yeah, start you're clipping. Gonna, you're going to know uh, when there's a, a time uh, to pull a yeah, clip. Yeah, that was handy. Yeah, so so I'm very excited. Uh this is the the most humbling thing about this whole deal. So when I worked at Como, I, I was there for a year, and I befriended a lot of people, uh, a lot of reporters and uh, editors and camera uh, engineers. I mean, just so many different personnel. And so I made the, the announcement on my Facebook page, and uh, I honestly I didn't think I'd get any track. You know, I'd be like, yeah, people be like, yeah, nice job. Go. I had like over 120 people, like 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 me, and and like say, you know, from from Como saying. Yes, you're coming home. One of the reporters, I'm not going to name him here, uh, he says, man, you know, Chase, you know, when I F my computer up really, really bad, <laughs> you made me feel so good. So it's going to be nice to have you back. So. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's kind of, yeah. it's really kind of in your wheelhouse because obviously you've got that IT background and you've got that production background and there's just, that's kind of the perfect situation. If you can be part of the local team, that's, man, that's a total I was going to say, you know, to address the chat room, Pixel Pimp uh, talks about Como being pretty crappy. What? Well, one thing you got to remember Como, in what way? Well, Como, he, Como hasn't been in that new space forever. You know, they built that from the ground up. They they did have some older facilities in that area. Uh, uh, hold on, about though. Even 10, in the, 15 years ago, maybe? Even in the old studio, first of all, uh, you got to remember, that was built before HD. But I, I would say that old studio, that didn't matter. What The coverage, like, when there was a snow day, nobody had better coverage than Como. Yeah. There are moments where local events were happening uh, that... Nobody had better coverage than Como, they, and you really, you really have to look at what they covered versus the production of it. I look at a lot of things from the technical a- aspect too, and the reason why I, uh, I'm actually fond of Como for a few reasons. One, they were the first to broadcast uh, in the Northwest uh, to actually go on the air with TV. Uh, they were first to broadcast in high definition as well. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of firsts, and you know, Como's always try to be on the forefront of that. Um, and, and so yeah, I think they were the first local one to have a live stream that I could uh, tune into. Before, yeah, yeah. After I cut the cord too. Yeah, so you know, to be Sarah, to I, I want to make it very, very clear to you and to our unfiltered audience. You know, we we do analyze uh, the news that you shouldn't be watching, and obviously, I'll be a part of that news beast. But that being said, you know, I'm I'm an engineer. I'm going to be just making things work, uh, and really just uh, 
the, the one thing I, I will add, though, is don't worry. My opinions aren't going to get biased. I'm not going to talk crap about my employer. That's like you just don't do that. Uh, but like any job, you're going to have your ups and downs. Well, you're not you're not involved in the news business end no. of it either, which is kind of great. So you get to kind of observe it and uh, definitely are in the thick of it um, because of the way that it's all laid out. But uh, yeah. yeah, you kind of have that nice detached aspect from the news end because oh, yeah. you're doing the IT end. And, and the best thing is, you know, a lot of you may think that news personalities on TV, uh, you know, they, they try to have a biased point of view. I can unbiased. Uh, you know, some some people may be, be a biased point of view. You got on your some, Sean Hannity's, right, you exactly. Your, yeah. Rush Limbaugh's, things like that. But I can genuinely say, hand over heart, that the people that I've known at Como are are true journalists in the all sense of the word. You know that yeah, they're under pressure to get stories out like anybody else. But they are passionate about their craft. Oh well, congratulations, Thanks, man. buddy. So here we go now. You ready to do the cyber? Oh, the well, so why are we calling it the cyber? Now? Because that's what it was referred to during the debates uh, by, by Trump. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The cyber. Now uh, this first clip comes from the Tiffany Network, and it's, it's CBS. By it right. is a real beauty because you start with a basic premise, and then you use any excuse you can find to really hype it up. So watch as they start small, and then they go unbelievably big. On Thursday, Yahoo announced that its network was hacked back in 2014, and it was a big hack. Oh, okay. So we're about to get some information about wow. the Yahoo hack because Good. this is important to me. Need to know. We're yeah. all a bunch of Yahoo. You're, you know, theoretically people My watching this My first email show. account was a Yahoo Sure, account. sure. So, okay, good. Let's get some information about right. that. This will probably be really on point. At least half a billion users' names, email addresses, telephone numbers, birth dates, and passwords were stolen. This latest revelation of a high-profile breach linked to a state-sponsored actor is unsettling enough. But what could happen if an entire city, like New York, was hacked? What? That is the dramatic premise laid out in a recent magazine article. Uh, uh, How do you go from Yahoo has bad security to what if an entire city is hacked? How do you do do that? Yeah. Okay. The scenario starts with a single car on the West Side Highway taken over by hackers. Now, again, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to try to defend Internet connected cars here, but let's be honest. One of the key b- bits of information you have to have to hack an Internet connected car is you have to know how to connect to that car. You have to either know what its ID is, its IP or whatever. You have to get either on the, a network like there has to be a way you can communicate with the car. Yeah, totally. So why I why I don't like that they just got Bluetooth broadcasting all the time. They're putting Wi-Fi access points up in this business. They're connecting stupid shit to the CAN bus interface. That all that all bugs me. But let's be let's be realistic. The actual threat to your Dodge Jeep driving around with its Bluetooth and its Wi-Fi is very, very limited. In fact, the people who have done those really well publicized stories and wired about hacking a Jeep, they themselves admitted that ahead of time they knew the specific ID, or perhaps it was an IP, of that vehicle before they attempted the attack. So this is something that isn't just... Oh, let's pick a car. It's something you have to get ahead of time. You have to somehow figure out a way to get the the network information of the individual car you want to have to yeah. go after. Yeah. That's a key aspect to this Huge. vulnerability. Yeah. On the West Side Highway, taken over by hackers. If someone hijacks a car, what could they do? 
So she goes out there, this CBS gal, she goes out there with this security guy who's, you know, just an, you know, quote unquote expert. It's an excuse to set up the camera here over the road and then they talk about this. You know how this works. They send out people to a spot. They've picked out a spot because there's some cars driving by. They've got a place where they can stand with the camera. They put the two in the shot and then she asks them a question and the guy is under an obligation to give her something because through their conversation, she sort of insinuated what she wants from it. They've gone to a lot of trouble. They probably scheduled this a day or two in advance with something oh, he's been preparing they, and for. And they scouted him as well because, you know, they, they looked out for experts. They said, hey, are you on the come on camera to talk about this subject? We're going to need at least a few minutes from you. We're going to need some content from you. And they will interview like a pre-interview. And if they don't give yes. them the, inf- the info, they'll go to the next person and they'll yep. find the right guy. And then they'll tell him to come meet us here. He right. sets it up. It's something that's sort of, you know, for a person totally. like that, it's kind of a big deal because it's self-promotional yep. and it's something that's scheduled and all of a sudden you're talking to a news person from the CBS morning show. We're on the West Side Highway, taken over by hackers. If someone hijacks a car, what could they do? Um... <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. On the West Side Highway, taken over by hackers. If someone hijacks a car, what could they do? Um, a lot of things. If this SUV <laughs> suddenly slammed on its brakes or suddenly veered to the left and hit another car, you could be talking about a pretty massive pileup. Now, here is a couple of premises we're starting with. The conversation is starting with the premise that the attacker has been able to identify the vehicle and connect to the vehicle's in-car network. Right. Okay. Then the premise is that the brake system is somehow connected to that computer system. Now, in the case of some in some vehicles, perhaps it is. Now, the, to be to be fair, Chris, this has been demonstrated on yeah. some YouTube videos yeah. that, that brakes can be activated. Yeah, it depends on the vehicle. So it causes it depends. It depends. An, it depends on how the vehicle is designed. I like in the case of my 2012 Dodge, I don't believe there is a way to do that. I I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that based on the research I've done, there is no way to for there is no there is no electronic computer system connected to the brake system. So so let me ask you this Chris, you know, he talks about how someone could let's say take over the car, right? And, so and, 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 okay. and drive it So we're going to assume divide. it's probably a car made in the last 2 or 3 years. Yeah. That he somehow figured out a way to connect to the car's like computer those dodges platform. that had that that loophole where they the jeep, where, yeah, the like jeep. the jeep in right. that in that in the one wired article that was done for a for a conference. So that we're going to assume that they've they've identified the vehicle, they've connected. They're probably within about two to three hundred feet of the vehicle to be able to communicate with that's it at right. best. Yeah, and they're also traveling at the same speed. Well, if the vehicle's moving, yes. Yeah, but in the case of the jeep, they were they had a, they had a pre designed yeah, yeah. yeah pre set up area of this road. So, so let me say this, Chris. So so what's the difference between that uh, scenario occurring, or uh, someone who's uh, checking their Facebook page uh, for kitten pictures and they accidentally drop the phone and they verge into the center divide? <laughs> well, of course, yeah. But see, <laughs> that's that's the actual threat. See, that's that's, that's the, the real threat. That's the danger. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's, that's the real threat. This, or maybe now it's on iOS. Ten people getting laser messages. But no, what we're going to do instead is talk about this impossible <laughs> hacker scenario. What could they do? Um, a lot of things. If this SUV suddenly slammed on its brakes or suddenly veered to the left and hit another car, because he didn't want to crush his iPhone. We're talking about a pretty massive pileup. Oh, so a pileup. So yeah, like if a car accident were to happen, then there'd be a pileup. So after all of that pre-screening, yeah. after all of that effort of booking him, getting him there, getting the camera person there, bringing the van there, all of that, and then recording this package, that's what they got from that guy's initial statement. To be fair, this is Saturday CBS News, so maybe the standards are a little laxed. 
That pileup brings traffic to a halt. What? Then the hackers get more aggressive on nearby highways and bridges. It is possible to hack more than one car at at, at one time. It would be just as easy to make all the cars slam on the brakes as it would be just one vehicle. That's actually not true at all. In fact, I would imagine it would be extremely difficult unless you are able – perhaps you could could definitely argue it may be easy to to attack every Jeep of a certain year with a certain software build – uh, with a, in a certain date range. I guess maybe if a dealership was moving their entire inventory of vehicles at that time for, on the freeway. I, no, maybe. I guess I think you could make the argument that you might be able to come up with a way to uh, you could have like a device at an overpass that sends um, commands to a certain make and model of a car. But I don't and God. year. But I don't think you could. I you would have to have a very sophisticated program to do this for every make and model of car. It doesn't pass the, a sniff test. They all have their own software oh. stacks. They all have their own radio stacks. They all have their own different types of capabilities that are interconnected with the computer. None of them follow any common standard. Right. They all have completely different host platforms, from Windows embedded to Linux to uh, QNX. Yeah. It's fundamentally different across vendors. Yep. To a halt. And the hackers get more aggressive yeah. on nearby highways and bridges. Yeah. It is possible to hack more than one car at, at, at one time. It'd be just as easy to make all the cars slam on the brakes as it would be just one vehicle. No. That's as not true. emergency crews respond to accidents, nearby hospitals prep for patients. And of course Wait, now there's... What's different than this than any other day? I'm sorry. Well, because this is a hacker day. This is a hacker oh, day. God. Yeah. This is a hack attack. And so they've... They've got this a lot. Of course, oh. it, this is there's no there's not been a hack attack. So they've just gone out and found stock sound they have of a siren and stock footage of a hospital, and they've put a warm blur on it. And this is to give you like perhaps the perception that you were the one in in. Uh, look, this is this is first person perspective, right? And they have vignetting on the can, corner uh, of the image. Can you enhance the image, yeah. please? What do you do? Enhance here. <laughs> look at the vignetting to apply that you're passing out. You mm-hmm. are on the gurney. Right now, you were you were attacked by a hacker. That's that is the implication yeah, of the imagery. Yeah, now, yeah. now here's why I say that. This isn't something that actually happened. So the editor had to go find stock footage, either CBS stock footage from one of their many shows, right. or from something like videoblocks.com, and they had to define the parameters that they wanted to get this clip and then put it in their editor. It's not like they just had the clip on a camera somewhere, so they threw it in this report. They intentionally put in a visualization of a person on a gurney being brought into a hospital, passing out as they discuss hackers taking out the entire freeway. There is nothing accidental about the visual here. One vehicle. As emergency crews respond to accidents, nearby hospitals prep for patients. That's when they realize they're locked out of their systems, too. An organization will attack a hospital uh, and basically lock doctors, nurses, everyone out of the hospital's networks. The the hackers might have been in their system for months. The coordinated attacks set the stage for Reeves Weidemann's article in New York Magazine called The Big Hack. And all of this is cover for what's going on in the elections, which we are about to get to, but I want to move on. That is your uh, grade A cyber propaganda, though. Uh, Of course, there was some actual information about the Yahoo hack, if you are curious about that. We'll play a little bit from this clip. Insight into the hack with Sean Sullivan. He is a security advisor for F-Secure, and he joins us via Skype from Helsinki. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Again, Yahoo says that state-sponsored hackers are behind this attack. Um, Exactly which country 
exactly who is Yahoo referring to here? Uh, they have not provided any information that would allow anybody to really make a good attribution. But if I had to take a wild guess or an educated guess, I suppose, it would be a country who would be interested in account holders within their own country. So um, a country in Asia comes to mind that might want to look at accounts belonging to its citizens. Yeah. Now, whoever is behind this attack, could they still be inside Yahoo's networks or related networks like Tumblr? No, I think based on what uh, the guidance that Yahoo has provided uh, and knowing the people that have worked for Yahoo over the last two years, um, and given the regulations that came out with the Snowden documentation, um, the networks of Yahoo and other Silicon Valley companies um, have been tightened up quite a bit since 20, uh, 2014. Hmm. Yeah, and this happened in 2014. This major hack on Yahoo happened two years ago. Why did it take so long for it to come to light? Because we only learned of it this week. Because they were trying to sell. Well, uh, at the beginning of August, there was some sales going on in the dark market uh, region of the Internet, you know, some, some dark markets where uh, Yahoo accounts were being offered for sale. So that was the first of rumors, and then an investigation began. And I think we're learning about it now because they've completed the, the forensics. It would have been irresponsible to speculate before they'd actually finished a thorough investigation. Oh, the Yahoo breach, it affects hundreds of millions of users. Just a moment ago, Samuel Burke offered some concrete tips on what those users should do to reset their passwords. But how concerned should they be about mm. their accounts? About do you use a password manager? I do. Uh, do you mind saying which one it is? Uh, I use LastPass. Yeah, I'm back on LastPass too. I took I st when uh, LogMeIn bought them, I took a break and tried to roll my own solution, but they kind of won me back with the Authenticator. Um, yeah. And then you know what's really got me? What's that? Is uh, and they do this on on the on on Android now too, uh, partially. Is the fingerprint thing for unlocking LastPass on mobile is great, yeah. but uh, in iOS 10 now, it, now it's not across all applications. So a big caveat here, and this happens a lot on iOS, is if there's a custom login screen, like something designed by the app, this doesn't work. But if they're using the iOS 10 default username and password screen, iOS 10 now has a, a has a uh, OS wide password manager of sorts. And th so in the username and password field in the username box, there's a little blue lock icon, and if you tap that, it brings up instead of a share sheet, it says, "Well, which pass ma password manager would you like to use in LastPass?" Because I have it installed, it's listed there. You know, Google has something some, that their Smart Lock feature. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen. Well, that. this is so Smart Lock though. See, the problem with Smart Lock is it doesn't integrate with LastPass at all, and so no. LastPass has it's, this, it's Google's its own thing. Right, right. LastPass has this usability hack where they keep a persistent notification running in Android, right. yeah. and then they monitor input fields, and when they think you're doing a username and password input field by, in, right. by watching your entire Android session. That's how they do that is because they're acting as a as a usability application right. yeah. to be able to screen read. So they watch your entire Android session continuously, and then they see that when they think a login password comes up, and, and it's always awkward like when you're entering it in. And it also pops up. Yeah, and you're like, well, actually, for this one time, I don't want it. And it's not that I never want to use it. I just don't want to use it this well, one. Well, it does ask you. Do yeah, you but it's awkward. Yeah. It's awkward. Yeah. So uh, with iOS 10, the, it has a little lock icon in the username box. You tap that. It brings up the share sheet that shows you all your password managers, including iCloud, 1Password, or la whatever you have. Yeah. I have LastPass. You tap that. And then, of course, it uses Touch ID to decrypt it. Just it shows you the results. You tap that result, blast it into the username and password field, and logs you in. There's no persistent notification. There's no watching my whole screen. Huh. It is iOS knows that it's a username and password field because it's using the standard iOS interface for that, and so it just provides that as an OS wide functionality. And I can use LastPass as one of the sources. And so now. 
it has made setting up my, my, my apps and my services that have really complicated yeah, passwords yeah. much easier. Wow. I'm not doing like this hacky copy to clipboard stuff. or So I if you're not using a password manager, and if one of the reasons has been because it makes using mobile applications a total pain in the ass, that excuse it, on either platform now is gone. To be fair, it was a pain in the ass on iOS. Yeah, yeah. Android, and, at least you could do it for a right, while. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm actually, you know, I don't have a device that uh, I can try iOS 10 on. I have older iPhones. But it's one of those things where that could be a game changer for me anyway. That's the, I like Huge that. for me, man, because yeah. uh, so the iPhone 7, one of the reasons I switched to it is because I personally believe after the after the uh, sort of research that I've done, following the stories I've done on, on our different shows and watching a talk by an Apple employee at Black Hat, it really changed my perspective on iOS security and privacy versus Google. And so like one of the things that I'll just show you real quick and then we can move on if sure. I have my – Oh yeah, here it is. <clears throat> One of the things I've done a lot is I have uh, I've replaced the Google Now. So I like Google Now in the sense that it gives you a feed and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. When I swipe left, I have built my own custom feed of information based on widgets, all which use data sources which I define, feeds I define, none of which require Google's like that, you know data collection and any of that kind of stuff. A bunch of different neat stuff on here. And I, I really kind of had the actually, revelation that I could have I could have a, a pretty great experience without having Android, but still get some of the privacy and security benefits that I didn't think were possible under Android on iOS. I, I really liked it. So I, I, as somebody who's paranoid with Google more and more these days, I'm, I'm basically I think I'm I'm going to hang out here until one of the open source solutions is viable. It's on a because I I don't want to switch to like an Ubuntu touch environment until I have a piece of hardware. That I think is just fantastic, right? And and the iPhone Seven, while it doesn't have a headphone jack, it has just about everything else I want. I was I was going to ask you know about that because I, I saw you had Spotify on there. I want to listen to the latest uh, from Ronald. Let me plug. Oh, I can't plug in. <laughs> hey oh, hey. all right. So back onto the cyber here. Uh, this is we were just talking about a little propaganda. Listen to this. This is a breaking news alert. Okay. This is CNN breaking news. And it is hyped up, hyped up, hyped up. It's This was post-debate. And uh, once you get into it, you're like, well, wait, what's the actual breaking news here? This is CNN Breaking News. News uh, learning the FBI is now concerned about a possible cyber attack on the phones of Democratic Party staffers. So the FBI, he just said the FBI is now concerned about a possible cyber attack on the phones of DNC staffers. Our chief national security correspondent, Jim Shudo, has been working his sources. What are you learning, Jim? All right, so Jim, this is a a breaking situation. We've got the breaking news alert. What do you know? Lower Third says breaking news. He said it's breaking news. They're just learning. So what is Jim just learning about this breaking situation? Well, that's right. Well, the FBI has now asked to examine the cell phones of a small number of Democratic Party staffers as it investigates a possible hack of cell phones. This coming from law enforcement as well as Democratic Party sources. Wait, what? Wait, law the F- enforcement. The FBI is now asking right. to look at a couple of phones of a small number of DNC staffers. Right. In other words, this is just connected to the previous investigation. <laughs> There's no new hack. There's not like their phones have it's not their phones have not just been compromised. It's simply the FBI clarifying that they are also looking into the phones because their email accounts were compromised. It's likely that the here, – here, I can perfectly see the logic. Well, you were logging into an email account that was compromised by attackers. And if you were logging in from the phone, then it's 
probably prudent that we investigate the phone to see if there was anything planted on the phone. You know how they think. Yeah, totally. If they had access to your email and you were logging into your email from your phone, then attackers would reverse tunnel that IMAP connection, implant <laughs> malware on the device, and listen to everything they said. That's how, that's how they right. think, right? Yeah. They think yeah. that's actually possible. So there's no new news here. It's just simply the FBI clarifying that they're actually looking into the phones of DNC Staffords, yet we've got the breaking news. We're just learning. Now asked to examine the cell phones of a small number of Democratic Party staffers as it investigates a possible hack of cell phones. This coming from law enforcement as well as Democratic Party sources. Law enforcement reaching out to the staffers individually about imaging their phones, in effect taking a copy of their phones to search for evidence of hacking such as malware. Investigators are still probing whether this attempted to hack is part of the original breach of DNC emails, which is widely thought to be the work of the Russian government or people working for the Russian government. Oh, so and he says this as if investigators are still trying to figure this out. No, you are, Jim. You are trying to. And the Russian thing, we'll come back to that later. Or if this is a new hacking attempt. Now, asked about this new attempt, the interim DNC chair, Donna Brazil, told CNN, quote, our struggle with the Russian hackers that we announced in June is ongoing. What? Wait, this is new information. You're telling me you're st- you're telling me you're still under attack by the Russians, even though Threat Wire and 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 who are so, some, some so, of the other ones yeah. that are in there that are watching? There's like three different cyber agencies supposedly yeah, watching and this. So so you're struggling with hackers right now? Uh, it's ongoing, she says. Wow. Chase. it is ongoing. There, let me back it up. Make sure I'm not misquoting her here. No, right Our there. struggle with the Russian hackers uh-huh. that we announced in June is ongoing, as we knew it would be, and we are choosing not to provide general updates unless personal data or other sensitive information has been accessed. Or stolen. So, I have a half bite of bacon for you. All right. Mm, a small piece of bacon. Mm, yeah, I'm Washington, D.C. Are they waiting for the Julian Assange October surprise reveal? Because uh, he keeps threatening, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then they'll just wrap that all up with the Russian narrative, perhaps. And so they don't want to close the books on this thing until Assange. They got to have it out there. Yeah. Know. You think that could be it? It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I'm not feeling it a lot yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. It seems like I'm just trying to wrap my head around this, though. Yeah, it's possible. What do you think? Well, I, I think they're still trying to tie it because remember they he said in the story that they quoted DNC sources, right? DNC sources and the FBI. Well, the only organization that has ever said anything about Russian hackers has been what the DNC, yeah, or the Clinton, uh, the Clinton or, campaign, or, or the Clinton campaign. But it really, it really has been um, the. Actually, the first people that said anything were the Clinton campaign for a while, and then the DNC pretty quickly began to echo them, but. Since when has the DNC not been in the bag for the Clinton campaign? That's right. proven. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, we found that out right away. But, Wolf, we know that this investigation has been ongoing. They've been looking to see the extent of that original hack of DC email. So you have- Isn't it amazing you can tell this professional who might even make almost maybe more than a million dollars a year is completely bullshitting to you? Listen to the words he's using. He's bumbling his words here. It doesn't – why would – this doesn't make any sense. They've got no information to go on. They are just pushing this story. Not to provide general updates unless personal data or other sensitive information has been accessed or stolen. But, Wolf, we know that this investigation has been ongoing. They've been looking to see the extent of that original hack of DC email. So you have that 
going on right now. And now you have this probe here to see how far it's gone into the cell phones of a small number of Democratic Party staffers as well. It's not D.C. emails. It's DNC emails. But what he's thinking about in the back of his head is D.C. leaks. And they can't help but just stumble it out every now and then. Jim Shudo reporting the latest news. Uh, Jim, thank you. I want to get some uh, reaction from our political uh, experts. I don't, but then they kick it around for a while. <laughs> Do you want it? I don't want no, it. No. no. It's in the supporter sink if you want it, but it's so obnoxious. So there you go. More banging the Russian drums. Now, uh, Comey was being, is, was being questioned today. Do you, you remember last week when we talked about the uh, Clinton? This my good friend James Comey? Yeah, you're your you're longtime good friend. Got it. Yeah. Close personal. Yeah. Uh, do you remember last week when we talked about that um, Reddit uh, deleting by the IT Clinton guy where he went through and deleted That's all? That's right. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was deleting anything of him anywhere. Well, that, that got wrapped up into a whole bunch of uh, hearings that were going on today. And I want to st- we're going to we're going to eventually get there. But there was some other beauties in this hearing. Uh, according to uh, your good friend. My buddy. Jim Comey. We are under constant attack. We are getting poked at by state actors all the time. And he has an interesting ex- explanation, though, why he doesn't feel like the voting system is at risk. And I'm wondering if you could – could you guess, Chase, why, J- why James Comey, why Jimmy Boy doesn't think the U.S. voting system is actually at risk from the Russians? Do you have any guesses why? Why he doesn't? Yeah. He, he, a, he, well, because they're independent systems and you know they're not tied together and – uh, you know, they're they're not on the net and they're not on the networks. It's, it's funny you say you say it in a very nice way. He says it in a much clunkier way. <laughs> Any hacking is something we take very seriously. Any hacking in connection with this nation's uh, election system is something we take extraordinarily seriously. The whole of government. And so it is something the FBI is spending a lot of time on right now. To tr- We're making a lot of effort towards trying to blame it on the Russians. We are trying to get a public blaming on the Russians, but we're still trying to rub sticks together. A lot of time on right now to try and understand, so what are they up to and what does it involve and what's the scope of it to equip the president uh, to decide upon the appropriate response. These are the voter registration systems. This is very different than the vote system in the United States, which is very, very hard for someone to hack into because it's so clunky. And, and dispersed. It's Mary and Fred putting a machine under the basketball hoop at the gym. Which is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. And it, and it turns out to be an advantage. Surprise, yeah. everybody. Old school, baby. Clunky is an advantage. Decide upon the appropriate response. And these are the voter registration systems. This is very different than the vote system in the United States, which is very, very hard for someone to hack into because it's so clunky and, and dispersed. It's Mary and Fred putting a machine under the basketball Mary hoop at Fred. the gym. Those things are not connected to the Internet, but the voter registration systems are. So we urge the states to make sure you have the most current information and your systems are tight because there's no doubt that some bad actors have been poking around. No doubt. No uh, doubt. RJ in the chat room points out we were getting loose and quick with the uh, facts. Uh, the Clinton IT guy wasn't asking about deleting emails. The addresses. He was asking about deleting the addresses. Yeah, and I, uh, th- that, that is a distinction that should be made. However, it, the, the key point, he was, he was asking on Reddit – after a discovery order had been issued, which— How to do something you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be altering anything at that point. Uh, so I wanted—so you heard Comey right there. People are poking around. Jim, Jim, Jim. Do you remember um, about three weeks ago, 
we talked or four weeks. Oh, man, it might have been more than that. We talked about the threat to the election system and how the Department of Homeland Security offered to help people cyber up. Yeah. So that way they couldn't get hacked. Well, according to Je Johnson, uh, the uh, head of the Homeland Security Department, Mr. Drone King himself, they have been getting some bites on that offer. As I think you know, I have been very active lately in promoting the assistance that my department can provide to state and local election officials when it comes to their cybersecurity. I don't know why. I don't I don't have a a quick soundbite as to why something something about the Department of Homeland Security getting involved with the US elections really concerns me. And I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it's their total failure of the TSA. Maybe it's the fact that they have been nothing but a jobs program since 9-11. I don't know exactly what it is about DHS getting involved with federal elections. But what I feel like what is happening right now is roosters are coming home. This is a, They have been negligent. They have been cheap. They have been lazy with their election infrastructure. People that have been standing up websites, oh, they've yeah. been paying a guy or a gal, a dude named Ben, if you're a No Agenda fan, to come out and set up a server for somebody. They set up a website, they call it good, and they're done spending money on it. And now all these stupid sons of bitches who haven't been taking care of their platforms are getting kicked around by people with open source scanning utilities that can detect their vulnerabilities and do SQL dumps over the web. So it's not some big, huge, like all of a sudden it's 2016 and we have a massive cyber threat. It's that for probably a decade, these people haven't been taking care of their IT infrastructure. Right, yep. And now, thanks to easy to spin up Linux distributions, open source applications that are commonly available, tutorials that tell you how to do it, and a crazy, crazy growing cybersecurity industry, people are poking around like never before. And it's the simple stuff that they're not doing to secure themselves. Now, how does the federal government justify this? They blame it on a state actor. That gets the money flowing. But the end result of getting the DHS involved with federal elections, that gives me pause. Right. I don't know exactly why yet, and I'm still trying to f- – Chris, 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 listen, Chris, listen to me. You know, you've got to realize, you know, we need to make sure that our one of our most treasured things that we do as Americans in Vote. voting – is a secure. I have to be confident. I have to be confident in that result. You have to be, you know, and you want to make sure that your data is safe. And That's secure. all Jeff wants. That's all Jeff wants. That's what we all want, Chris. It's what we all want. Lately, in promoting the assistance that my department can provide to state and local election officials when it comes to their cybersecurity in the run up to the November 8th election. Uh, We have uh, been working with state election officials, local election officials, to help them with their cybersecurity when they ask. I'm pleased that uh, 18 states have now come forward and requested our assistance uh, in their cybersecurity efforts. This is something I'm going to watch. Yeah, totally. You know, if the federal government 
if the federal government – oh, my god. I just solved our I, – I think I actually just solved our cybersecurity problem. I'm Wait, not even you, shitting you. You, you solved the cyber yeah, right security here. problem. Yeah, right here. <clears throat> right, wow. right here. Yeah. Episode yeah. 206, you yeah. guys. September 28th, 2016. Right here. Here we go. Chris has the answer. Chris, the answer? If you want to solve America's cybersecurity infrastructure problem, uh-huh. make all work related to installing patches and being current a tax write-off. If I could deduct – all time spent on patching my infrastructure against cyber threats like off the taxes. Yeah. You, you bet I would make sure it's one of the core functions of my IT department oh, from a big corporation. Number one. That's all you have to do because the number one issue is people are not patching their shit. If they patched their shit, we wouldn't have this problem. Right. People are grabbing bundles of software that have dozens of, of dependencies, and one of the plugins of 30 is vulnerable. It takes one – got a WordPress installation with 12 plugins. It takes one of 12 of those plugins to stop getting updated. It uses some old methodology, and somebody owns your site. All you have to do, the primary thing you have to do is patch your shit. The second thing you should definitely do is use great passwords. There you go, everybody. Done. So if, the, if, if businesses could simply write off the time spent securing their cyber infrastructure, not only could they exploit the shit out of that and make a bunch of money, but you're damn better well bet they'd spend more time investing in that infrastructure. Absolutely. That's how you solve America's cybersecurity problem. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Good night. See ya. <laughs> Mic drop. That We're done is here. the end of the show. All right. Unfortunately, wow. uh, we have some world events to get into. Yes. And this is this is one that I, I've been watching for a clip for the Obama administration to talk about the fact that they just signed, that signed a historic 30 plus billion dollar military agreement with Israel. It's 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 a massive deal, larger than anything any other administration has ever signed. I, I was surprised to hear the Obama administration to really not promote this right. until just about now. President Obama prods Israel's prime minister to end occupation of Palestinian territories while also maintaining that the U.S. relationship with Israel remains strong. The president met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly in New York today in what is perhaps a final meeting between the two leaders during the Obama administration. Correspondent Kevin Cork reports from the White House on Israel's response to the president's push for peace. Obviously, there are some differences between us. For much of his eight years in office, this seemed to be a fair representation of President Obama's relationship with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Cold, distant, even adversarial. Marked by differences over the Iran nuclear deal, Israeli settlements, and U.S. policy in the region. But that was a far cry from the scene in New York today, when the two men effusively praised each other in the wake of a massive military aid package between Washington and Jerusalem. So Israel be getting $38 billion over the next 10 wow. years of uh, U.S. support. Yeah, $38 billion, man. Hmm. Wouldn't you love to get that? Uh, and one of the things that's often sort of insinuated and implied about Israel is their nuke stock. Did you know Israel has nukes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they've never actually – I wasn't sure because they've never actually confirmed I mean, confirmed I've heard it. of it, but I mean – See, it's tricky because if they if they have nukes, then technically us supplying them with military aid – is against the law because we have a very specific law that says we will only if, – if there's a country that has nukes, we will only provide them military aid if they have signed the Non-Proliferation Act. And if they haven't signed this act that says you're not going to you're not going to let nukes get out of control, you're going right, to work yeah. to you're going to you're going to actively work to reduce your your stock, yep, yep. which of course is why they don't want to sign it. Then if you don't sign this, we can't give you military aid and we certainly can't give you money and weapons. But of course – 
we are giving them money and weapons, and they do have nukes, but they've never publicly acknowledged it. However, last week, Colin, well, not last, two weeks ago, Colin Powell's emails were leaked. And in there, he just openly talks about how many nukes they have, wow. which, which is a clear indication that yeah. the U.S. government is aware of the situation. Well, former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell's emails were recently leaked, and the latest revelations have come from them in confirmation that, that the U.S. is well aware of the real extent of Israel's nuclear arsenal. RT's Paula Slear has the details. If you look at this leaked email correspondence of the then U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell, what certainly is clear is that Powell acknowledges Israel's nuclear arsenal. Now, this has always been an open secret, particularly between the United States and Israel. It is, if you can call it, nuclear ambiguity. Here in Israel, whenever you question Israeli politicians as to whether or not Israel has nuclear weapons, they always answer with the standard no comment. And this is so as not to confirm or deny and also leave a question mark as to how many nuclear weapons Israel has, if indeed it does have. But what we see in this email correspondence also is Powell rejecting at that time assessments that Iran was a year away from building a nuclear bomb. Powell also goes on to say that Iran's nuclear arsenal and rational self-interest meant that the construction and the testing of any kind of Iranian nuclear weapons would be a harshly unlikely policy decision. I want to stop here. So what Powell is saying is Iran is disincentivized to create a full-fledged nuke program simply because of the threat of Israel and of the U.S. So there's not a real threat. Right. And so all of this drama about the deal with Iran and about this historically bad deal, as Trump puts it, is probably all hyped up to begin with, the real threat. Because Iran knows themselves that their existence is on the line here. Uh, this next part of the clip sort of drives it home. By the Iranian leadership. Take a look at some of the correspondence. Anyway, Iranians can't use a nuclear bomb if they finally make one. This is the former Iranian president, by the way. So this guy probably knows what he's talking about. He has maybe, what you might say, some experience. Use a nuclear bomb if they finally make one. The boys in Tehran know Israel has 200, all targeted on Tehran. Oh, I'm sorry. This part is from Powell uh, talking to the former Iranian president. As Ahmadinejad said, what would we do with one? Polish it? Now, Powell has not denied the authenticity of the email correspondence. But what is interesting is that parallel to this correspondence and these assessments taking place, the United States introduced many harsh measures against Iran for allegedly trying to build a nuclear bomb, while at the same time, critics would argue Israel was safe and secure. Meanwhile... (laughs) North Korea is firing off <laughs> missiles, right? Right. I mean, it's so it, the whole thing is such a political shit show, uh, but it's fascinating to look at it. Um, I want to talk about this story because this is getting massive coverage everywhere. We'll just real briefly touch on this. Back with this Fox News alert this morning. U.S. forces in northern Iraq under attack. ISIS suspected of firing a mortar shell that may have contained mustard agent. Anytime there's a, the Assad regime supposedly uses chemical weapons or ISIS supposedly use chemical weapons, it, it gets coverage. It doesn't matter how oh, severe yeah, totally. it is. It doesn't matter if anybody was hurt. 
they cover it. And so here's a perfect example. Chase, I want you to count for the audience how many people were hurt in this attack by ISIS. Okay. At a U.S. airbase, the terror group firing the rocket at the base located in an airfield about 25 miles south of Mosul. We are working on a new initiative in that area. U.S. military officials say nobody thankfully was injured and that there was no sign among our military that they were exposed to mustard gas. So how many people were injured? Uh, that would be zero, Chris. And how many people are exposed to gas? Uh, that would be, yes, I checked my sources, zero, Chris. So we're going to cover this across uh, multiple networks, of course, because this is a big story. And then there's there's this next story, which nobody seems to want to cover except for Chase's friends over at RT. Uh, U.S. Buddies. forces have admitted to using controversial white phosphorus in Iraq. Let's what? cross now uh, to the studio. And uh, with me is RT's Emily Sue with more details now. Emily, let's start with what we know so far. Well, Nadira, based on these photos that emerged on the website managed by the Pentagon, we now know for a fact that U.S. forces are indeed using white phosphorus munitions in Iraq, uh, although it's not clear exactly how. But one thing, that is the key, because although it's not against international law to use white phosphorus to create smoke screens or uh, to create signals for advancing troops, its usage is highly controversial, even against combatants, because white phosphorus can create very severe and lethal burn wounds on the human body. Now let's take a listen to what the spokesman from the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq had to say following the release of these photos. When U.S. forces use these munitions, as required by the law of armed conflict, they do so in a way that fully considers possible incidental effects on civilians and civilian structures. You know, there's a little burning. I mean, (laughs) what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? Speaking of what's the big deal, do you remember that 28 pages that came out? Yes. That sort of spurred this whole allow people, the victims of terrorist attacks to sue the governments behind them. uncensored papers. And then after that came out, there was some legislation vetoed by Obama. And now Obama's veto has been overturned. Override. For the first time, I think. In his entire presidency. Yeah. You're right. Back to the breaking news now. Just moments ago, the U.S. Senate voted to override President Obama's veto of a 9-11 bill by a vote of 97 to wow. 1. If the House of Representatives agrees in a vote later today, as fully expected, it will be the first time the U.S. Congress, the House and the Senate, uh, they have uh, rejected a veto from President Obama's desk. It's called the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act. The main point of uh, disagreement was the inclusion of the provision that will allow families of 9-11 victims to sue the government of Saudi Arabia over the attacks. Uh, It also allows federal courts to impose liabilities on people involved in international terror attacks against U.S. nationals. You know, Obama was always in a super weak position when he was defending the reason for vetoing this. It never sounded legit. Oh, oh yeah, it will open us up to lawsuits and things like that. Meanwhile, the way the U.S. justice system works and the way our law system works, we're already protected from yeah, that. Yeah, That was so weak. It was very weak. I feel like we got to keep moving. I don't want to slow down too yeah. much because we got to get to the debate. So yes. I want to just cover this situation in Syria uh, as quickly as possible, even though it's super important. And there's additional clips you can follow up on in the supporter sync. But this is possibly a big story. We're, we're going to I'm going to I want to I want you to understand that RT is not the source on this story. RT is the only English speaking outlet that is covering it. It is being covered a lot in non-English outlets. This is the only audio I could find on this particular story in English. So um, 
keep that in mind. But I think this is a pretty important story. And I, and I want you to just watch everything. So keep keep watching with your t- with critical mind Got it. from a production standpoint, from a news standpoint. But I think this is a major story. The jihadists fighting in Syria are not satisfied with the help the U.S. and its allies are providing them. That's according to an al-Nusra front commander who gave an interview to a German journalist. Now that is – that's huge right there. Uh, al-Nusra saying that they're not getting the support they want – is kind of a big deal because the U.S. has never said they give direct support. Yes, the U.S. supports the opposition, but not directly. They support the countries that back us. However, we are still not satisfied with this support. Sh- now, what do you what do you just like look at this from a production standpoint? One of the couple of things that I think is a little weird to me is the guy's guns are clean, his belt accessories are clean, grenades are clean, that radio's clean. Uh, he seems to be distracted and bothered by the flies, all things which don't seem to quite fit. But at the same time, yeah. uh, the journalist that interviewed him supposedly vetted him. And and he's yeah. – so, OK. Anyways, I, we continue on. There is a translator going here. And what he is complaining about is the U.S. not properly supporting him. Directly. They support the countries that back us. However, we are still not satisfied with this support. They should support us with advanced weapons. We were winning the fights thanks to Tau missiles. With these, we gained parity with the regime. We received tanks from Libya via Turkey and multiple rocket launching systems too. The regime's only advantage is tactical aircraft, rockets and rocket launchers. We captured some of the rocket launchers and received a lot from abroad thanks to the Tau... Well, the translator is a no, translator. No, 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 I know, but watch how he speaks and he's looking down. I do off, see that. Yeah. Everything. And now here's the interesting thing, you know, we're if there's anything on the ground in front of him, we don't we're not going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I just find yeah. it interesting. Cuz he's saying everything that we've we've thought about on this show. Yeah. Uh tanks coming from it's Libya. It's interesting. Yeah. Missiles, we are able to keep the situation under control in many areas. According to the Al-Nusra commander, the jihadists don't recognize the ceasefire in Syria and they That also is something that seems legit to me. The jihadists do not recognize the ceasefire. So Kerry and Lavrov go into a, a room and they supposedly iron out a ceasefire. But if you are someone who is fighting for jihad, for for political reasons, for whatever, whatever, if you're whatever, whatever psychopathic, manipulative, self morality story you convince yourself to get in this fight, how are you going to accept all of a sudden when the U.S. comes along and says? Hey, you know how we've been yeah. telling you for three years that you could take Assad out and you could just kill, 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 kill? Let's simmer down on the Assad right. stuff. Hey, everybody, let's dial it back for a few days. That's not going to happen. No. Only using it to regroup. So, oh, let me back up. So uh, this guy says that the jihadists are just simply using the ceasefire to regroup. Situation under control in many areas. According to the al-Nusra commander, the jihadists don't recognize the ceasefire in Syria and they're only using it to regroup. 
He also told the German media that U.S. instructors arrived to teach the radicals how to use this new state-of-the-art equipment. What? We got the missiles directly. They were delivered to a certain group. When the road was closed and was encircled, we had officers from Turkey, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the U.S. here. So that also lines up with things that we have observed in this show, where they will center off an area, they have got it now, this under control, they've circled it off, and then they send in the training experts. Huh. Huh. Doing what? They were experts. Experts on how to use satellites, missiles, reconnaissance operations, and thermal observation cameras. Also American advisors? Yes, there were experts from many countries. Also American? Yes. Okay. What do you think? I don't know about that interview, to be honest. Yeah, it seems like uh, here's the two possibilities. It's, it's it's legitimate, or it's a it's a patsy that's just saying that's simply saying all the things that we can't quite prove, but we know to be true. Right. So we're gonna put this guy on that we've never heard from yeah. before, yeah. and we're gonna get all this right. like, bullet point information, and that's that's the part that kind of goes me. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of bullet point. Of course, it could have been edited that way yeah. to go bullet point. Here's where I think there could be some credence to it. All right. So your good buddy, my friend, uh, the state spokeshole, won't actually deny that this is true. Oh, yeah. Do you rule out the possibility that U.S. allies are giving weapons to almost? So do you give? Do you rule out the possibility that U.S. allies are giving aid? To Nestra or Nestra, however you say. Right. Uh, now, with the 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 implied question is aid being the people that we are giving money to, guns to, military support to, intelligence support to, training to, that are then passing that along. This is this is a key question here, and you're right. It is gonna. Do you rule out the possibility that U.S. allies are giving weapons to almost? There are. Uh, Countries and we've spoken about this before. Who? Oh yeah, it's totally normal. Uh, who will also seek to support and back some of the opposition, um, and may uh, provide them with assistance. You know, I'm not saying Did the U.S. is going. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you see that? You know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's no big deal. It's you know maybe we're giving them some money. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. they're uh, giving that over into in the form of Toyotas. Allies are giving weapons. Watch his face. It's really something. There are. Uh, Countries and we've spoken about this before. Who, uh, who will also seek to support and back some of the opposition, um, and may uh, provide them with assistance. You know, I'm not saying the U.S. is going to do this, um, but that's a, that's just looking at the scenario that exists in in Syria. If this, the regime does pursue a military uh, strategy, and if the uh, ISSG falls apart, then that could happen. That's a possible scenario. Weapons. There have been this constant talk about if the diplomatic solution falls apart, if things don't work out. I want to play this clip for you, and then I'm going to explain what that is. That is code for something. That's a talking point if the, if the diplomatic solution falls apart, if it doesn't work out. Right. The Syrian army announced late today the beginning of a major new offensive against the rebel-held eastern sectors of Aleppo. Now, I'm going to translate. The Syrian army are the people, the military controlled by Assad, and the rebels are the people backed by the U.S. So Assad's military is striking out against the rebels that are backed by the U.S. 
This came after a defiant Bashar al-Assad blamed the United States for the failure of a ceasefire agreement struck two weeks ago. Now, you remember last week we covered the accidental strike the U.S. did against a Assad military position that really was the unraveling of the ceasefire. Then later there was an attack against an aid convoy that was haphazardly blamed on Russia that that was used as the U.S.'s excuse for ending the ceasefire. Hari Srinivasan reports. A rain of fire lit up Aleppo, Syria overnight. It was one of the scores of airstrikes the most in months. And it proved a thundering, brutal answer to Secretary of State John Kerry's plea for the Syrian military and its Russian allies to ground their jets. Airstrikes resumed Monday, hours after a U.S. and Russian-brokered ceasefire expired. In an interview broadcast today, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad told the Associated Press the blame lies squarely with Washington and its allies. Having watched several interviews with Assad now, I have two notes. Uh, First of all, his English is getting much better. And second of all, he is getting much better at being very clear and plain spoken about what the fuck is actually going on here. Early with Washington and its allies. We announced that we are ready to be committed to any uh, halt of operation, or if you want to call it ceasefire. So this is the president of Syria saying we are prepared to be committed to a ceasefire, if you want to call it that, but... Uh, but it's not about uh, Syria. Uh, or, the, or Russia. It's about the United States and the terrorist group that's been affiliated to ISIS and al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and to the United States and to Turkey and Saudi Arabia. They've been promised for years by U.S. intelligence and allies that they could take this guy out of power. And now all of a sudden you think they're just going to stop when, when John Kerry calls them up right. and says, hey guys, let's stop fighting for a bit. Yeah, sure, the fat bureaucrats that get paid by Washington at the top of these groups that don't actually represent these individuals will stop. But the actual individuals fighting? No, they're going to give the middle finger to these guys. Fuck you, they're not going to stop fighting. (laughs) They've been told for years they could take Assad out of power. You don't have influence over them, John Kerry. It's not about uh, Syria. Uh, or, the, or Russia. It's about the United States and the terrorist group that has been affiliated to ISIS and al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and to the United States and to Turkey and Saudi Arabia. The White House today rejected that charge, but Assad went further, insisting the U.S. deliberately targeted Syrian forces in a weekend airstrike. With our satellite observation, with our intelligence on the ground, with our drone uh, video cameras, how do we accidentally keep hitting these Doctors Without Borders buildings? How do we accidentally strike the Syrian army? How do we make these mistakes when we have the total eye-in-the-sky op- uh, advantage? Oh, yeah, that we have the, the best of the best. And yet somehow we're bombing the wrong guys constantly. It's a total mistake, and then we pivot to blame it on the Russians. Hmm. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make no. sense. No, it doesn't. It, it literally doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't. You know um, – <laughs> I want to let's let's lighten it up for a second. I want right. to talk about something that uh, 206 episodes in, and and more than ever, am I more fired up about the topic of advertising when it comes to news? Watching the election and the way that they cover Trump and Clinton, the way that they the way that they cover Syria and all of this, it is so obvious to me that a, the fundamental issue with the news. See the news. The news started, and I think the reason why the U.S. public by default gives the news so much credibility is the news was genuinely started as a public service 
in in repayment for access to the airwaves. So when a television station was allowed to broadcast over licensed FCC airwaves, part of that trade was to do some public good and service with the public air. Right. And that was done in the form of news and informant. And it wasn't until the late 60s, the mid-70s, that news ever had to earn a profit. Initially, when television was new, like pod, like in the like right now where yeah. podcasting is at, literally, right. yeah. During this era, news was thought of as a loss leader for the networks. They never expected to make money. It, it was it was ridiculous to assume that they could make yeah, money. They made the money on the uh, on the entertainment shows. Yes. The news was something yeah. they had to do to get access to the air. And then in the late sixties, the mid seventies, and the late seventies, that transitioned, and executives started coming in. Next generation, third generation, fourth generation executives started coming in. And they said, "Let's make a profit on the news." Let's make money on the news. And since then, it has been devolving into what we have now. And what we have now is such an embarrassment of coverage, of informing the public. And if you think about it, this is fundamentally the problem. One of the things that I hear our chat room talk about when, they, when they're listening to the show is, well, this system is totally corrupt. Hillary's corrupt. Donald Trump is corrupt. Everybody in Washington's corrupt. It's all going to lead to anarchy and everything's going to fall apart. This system has to be completely broken down. And I totally think that is a pessimistic view and I completely disagree. The founding fathers enshrined something into the basic recipe of our country and that is the freedom of the press because the freedom of the press are fundamental required for a functioning democracy because you need an informed public to make decisions. They're supposed to be reporting on these bastards, but here's the problem. This is the fundamental issue where we are at now in 2016. Information is the asset in which these companies trade. If I am ABC News, if I am CBS News, if I am NBC News, I get information and I trade it to the public, and the value of that information allows me to sell to advertisers. If I have more valuable information and I get more people watching me, then I can charge more money to Pfizer and to all of the different drug companies. This is fundamental. Information is the asset in which they trade. Like an oil company pumps dinosaur blood from the earth, these media companies mine information. And this is the fundamental vulnerability because they need that information from the people that have it. And in this case, it's Hillary Clinton, or it's the White House, or it's the State Department. These people have all of the information. And so the media must acquiesce to their demands to continue the relationship because they need it. So when the Hillary Clinton campaign says, you can't film us, you can't follow us, you can't take any photos of us at the 9-11 event, the media will bitch about it on Twitter but they'll do what they're told because if they don't do what they're told, they don't get access to the Clinton campaign anymore. And what do they lose? They lose that revenue stream. They lose the information, which gives yeah. them that, in, that revenue yeah. stream yeah. Yeah. and they need that information. Yeah. So they do what they're told. If you remove advertising from me, from news in some media, I, it makes sense. But if you remove it from news, it changes that dynamic fundamentally. And so it's with this perspective that I want us to listen to this next clip. 
because Facebook stepped in it this week. And this is what is the issue with advertising on the web and in new media in general. It's fundamentally flawed. And when it comes to news coverage, it can't be done. Facebook is coming under fire for miscalculating the average amount of time users spend watching videos on the site. Did you hear about this? Yes. Advertisers are fuming and calling for an overhaul of how its viewership is tracked. WSJ Media and Marketing Deputy Bureau Chief Sarah Rabel joins us now with details on this Wall Street Journal scoop. Hi, Sarah. Great to see you. You too. So this was some, this wasn't just a rounding error. This was significant miscalculation, correct? Yes, it was a very significant miscalculation. They are actually saying they overstated the average time spent viewing videos by 60 to 80 percent over the last two years. Wow. Now, Facebook did issue an apology. We're going to read it. 60 to 80 percent. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is this wow. is the problem with the reporting of all of this stuff online. And all of it is built on a house of cards. And, you know, right now, CNN and MSNBC and NBC and CBS and ABC, all the people, all the U.S. media companies are making so much money by Amping up the controversy by scaring see, you about the Russians. See, I'll say I'll say this for what it's worth. You know, uh, I used to work for the Nielsen Television ratings, uh, and I was with them for ten years. And you know, for a lot of people, poo-poo the Nielsen ratings and their methodology and their equipment and what they do and that sort of thing. But at least they're a kind of a, a neutral standard in a way where you know they're not a media company, right? You know, they well, they're media research, but they they just they just provide the data, they provide the currency if you Yeah, know. it's up to the media companies right. to get the views. The problem here is these media companies like, you know, that went to Facebook for advertising trusted Facebook without any kind of third-party verification. They just said, "You know what? We'll take your word for what it's worth." And guess what happens? This happens. And do you see my point? Do you see yeah. how it's fucked at every every point? Yeah. So it's it's fucked because people have to generate hype to yep. get clicks. It's fucked because they have to promise to do what the people that have access to the information tell them to do. Right. And it's totally screwed because at the total end of the day, all of the numbers are being misrepresented anyway. Right. The entire system is a house of cards. Right. That's why I plea to you, go over to patreon.com slash unfilter and support this show. This is something that's created by the people for the people. And this week, we not only are doing the episode right here at 206 for you, but we also did a live stream event released for our patrons, real-time commentary on the entire debate. Mr. Michael Dominic from Coda Radio was able to stop by, gave a small business perspective, had great commentary on the event. We are producing – that, by the way, was a two-hour and 34-minute show, and we're producing another show this week for you. We are working so hard for you, and this week we got five patrons. Yeah. It's, it's – it, we really would love to see more support, and I, 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 if you believe like we do that this is the best approach – to getting this kind of information out there, even if we're not always accurate, if you still believe we've provided some sort of value, made you think about something, or covering something that you're glad to at least see somebody talking about, please keep us going at patreon.com slash unfilter. I cannot stress to you as a small business owner the amount of time and money that my company invests in this program, and we would love to have your support. We currently have 481 patrons, which I, I am so thankful to every single one of you, but I honestly believe that number for this show should be over 800. It really is. That number should be doubled. And we would love your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. I know not all of you can financially contribute to the show. You're, you're also absolutely welcome to contribute your thoughts at uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact in the comment section. Or you can help supply content and clips at unfilter.reddit.com. Well, one thing I want to add about the Patreon real quick 
is while we have suggested levels, you know, we have the $2 level to say that you support the show, $5, you get access to everything in, in Club 33. But you don't have to come in at any of those specific levels. If you can just afford a dollar a month, come in there. If you can only do three a month, come in there. A Patreon allows you to come in, support what you can, and jump out. What we want to see is we want to see that supporter number go up. So if you can only do a buck, if you can only do two fifty, whatever, uh, you know, please come on down. You know, and we, and we provide a great service. You get access to my sack every month. Yep. You know, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm gonna take a pause on the sack this week. I, I threw it out there and. Uh, I threw it out there a little late. I apologize, you guys, and uh, uh, th- that's okay. We'll, we'll get some more next week. Whoa, that was interesting. That was me closing the uh, yeah, virtual section. Virtual. So section. yeah, yeah, uh, whatever you can do, yeah. we really do appreciate. We it. We do, and uh, it's just it's also a vote to keep us going. I w- I, w- I guess I have this fantasy too. Like I have this fantasy of uh, people listening to the news, knowing they're being lied to, finding them filtering, going, "Holy shit, this makes so much more sense," or at least this is another perspective. I want to keep this going. Having a different way of thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Yeah. Now let's get into the debates, which are our perfect example of the shit show from uh, the media beast that we have created. And uh, I have one highlight reel I'm going to play for you. Okay. And then we'll, looking forward. we'll break into individual moments in the debate that are worth talking about, a couple of fact-checking sessions, and then I think we'll wrap it up with sort of the big walkaways that each candidate are getting from this debate that no, the media is talking about polls and they're talking about how issues played, but new mindsets were set for each one of the candidates that I think are going to serve them both very well going into the next debates, and we'll talk about that. But first, we start with the zingers. Secretary Clinton, yes, said okay, good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. I, I have a feeling that by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? Typical politician. All talk, no action, sounds good, doesn't work, never going to happen. I think that, I think Donald just criticized me for preparing for this debate. And yes, I did. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be president. And I think that's a good thing. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. Okay. (laughs) So there were a couple of nice moments in the debate, but I want to actually go a little bit deeper into a few things that I think our audience probably thought were more interesting. And if they didn't get a chance to watch the debate, well, these will be moments they would have cared about. Right. Uh, So I think probably the most fiery moment, and I want to start with what I think was Trump's strongest moment. And I think maybe we could give our review of the debate towards the end, but I think Trump had, came out initially very strong on trade. Secretary of State, and I have your done husband signed NAFTA, which was one of the worst things that ever happened well, to the manufacturing industry. That is your opinion. You go to New England, you go to Ohio, Pennsylvania, you go anywhere you want, Secretary Clinton, and you will see devastation where manufacturing is down 30, 40, sometimes 50 percent. NAFTA is the worst trade deal maybe ever signed anywhere, but certainly ever signed in this country. And now you want to approve Trans Pacific Partnership. You were totally in favor of it. Then you heard what I was saying, how bad it is, and you said, I can't win that debate, but you know that if you did win, you would approve that, and that will be almost as bad as NAFTA. Nothing will ever well, top NAFTA. That, that is just not accurate. Oh. I, uh, 
was against it once it was finally negotiated and the terms were laid out. I wrote about that in. You called it the gold I standard. About, well, I hope you called I, it the gold standard of trade deals. You, you know said what? it's the finest deal you've ever seen. No. And then you heard what I said about it. And all of a sudden you were against it. Well, Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but oh, yeah. that is not the facts. The fact that was a good return punch there, right? Yeah. That was, but, but she did say it was the gold standard. I, I actually went, I did a little digging around. I dug that too. Here is, uh, oh, here's, here it is. Here's some audio oh, for this. TPP sets the gold standard in trade agreements to open, free, transparent, fair trade, the kind of environment that has the rule of law and a level playing field. Sounds like she called it the gold standard to me. I mean, yeah. she says the TPP, the TPP is the gold standard. This TPP sets the gold standard in trade agreements. To- she doesn't say it might. It does. She says it does, which is her supporting it. Uh, now, here was another moment that I liked a lot because it's something we've talked about on this show. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't, maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? You don't know who broke in to DNC, but what did we learn with DNC? We learned that Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of by your people. Now, you see, you can tell he kind of loses the thread because he's so ADD, he can barely even remember the names he was told. But right here, this is hitting her, what I like to call breaking the fourth wall. Instead of playing the political game, he's just putting it right out there, clearly. By Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Look what happened to her. But Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of. That's what we lose. Now, whether that was Russia, whether that was China, whether it was another country, we don't know. Because the truth is, under President Obama, we've lost control of things that we used to have control over. We came in with the Internet. We came up with the Internet. And I think Secretary Clinton and myself would agree very much when you look at what ISIS is doing with the Internet. Turns it over to ISIS. at our own game. So he turns it over to ISIS, which I, th- I like that he was saying, hey, you, you, we don't have any proof it's Russia. Uh, but, uh, of course... Why don't we do a little fact-checking, Chase? So we go to the experts, the only people that really we can trust when it comes to fact-checking. That would be CNN. Yes. The topic here, who is behind the recent cyber attacks on the DNC state election systems? A sharp difference of opinion here. Here's Hillary Clinton. Now, we know what their opinions are. So let's skip ahead from the opinions. What do you say? And let's get the really hard facts from yeah, CNN. Let's the get proof. the solid facts on the board, on the writing yeah, board. One way or the other. Is it the Russians? Let's see. And, of course, we've got to get both candidates' take. So I'm, I'm going to – I'll spare you that because we just – We just heard it. We, we kind of just heard them. So the prime suspect for these serious cyber attacks on the U.S. election system. So let's look at the facts. Okay, Multiple here we go. officials right. as well as lawmakers briefed on the intelligence have told CNN that Russia – or hackers working for Russia are the most likely culprits. So did he just say it was Russia? No. What did he say? He said that they're most likely. And what's the source say on the board there? The intelligence community. So they won't, they say multiple sources, but they don't name a single source. They don't even say that those sources, the unnamed sources, he doesn't even say that those sources say it's Russia. They say it's likely Russia. Or so, hackers working for Russia. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like double couched and it's totally anonymous, anonymously sourced. So I, that on the U.S. election system. So let's look at the facts. Multiple officials as well as lawmakers briefed on the intelligence have told CNN that Russia 
or hackers working for Russia well, they are told the most CNN, likely Chris, so you know it must be true. Now, we should say, however, that the Obama administration has not publicly blamed Russia. So, oh. absent that public blame or a Russian admission... It- so, Russia hasn't admitted to it, and, and when he says the Obama administration, he means the FBI, the Department of Defense... The Department of Justice, perhaps, or the White House themselves, or maybe even the CIA, none of them from their daily spokesholes have come out and said it's the Russians. That's what he means when he says the Obama administration, which is interesting. Yeah. He blamed Russia. So absent that public blame or a Russian admission, it is hard to say with 100 percent certainty that the Russian government ordered this DNC. Okay, so even even in the fact check, he admits wow. it. So he's probably going to say, you know what, we'll give this one to Trump, right? No, no, the no. Hack, but there is compelling evidence that Russia was linked to the hack. Therefore, CNN rates Clinton's claim that Russia is the prime suspect. We rate that as true. One- now, they must, they must recognize the mental gymnastics they're doing to pull wait, that wait, off. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on here. Go, go back to that frame. Sure, sure. Let me see if you've... Pick this up right away. Uh-huh. What is? What are they calling this? The reality check, which is which is interesting because two things. Uh, that's not necessarily a fact check, right? And reality check is the is the name that Ben Swan uses on a local uh, show to do actually pretty good like fact checking yep. that we've played clips from from time to time. Yep. I just find it very interesting that they're calling it reality check, not CNN.com slash fact check, which they could definitely do, but they don't because they want to put their spin on it. It's not a fact. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh-huh. All right. So uh, then we've got one more source. All right. The, the gal that stepped in after Debbie was uh, kicked out. Russian email hackers. Trump uh, is open-ended on it. He says, we don't know. The Clinton and the Democrats, what do you think Trump. it was He says, we don't know. Trump is open-ended on it. But she, she is so convinced. She says, Donald Trump, call me personally. And she's going to tell you why she's convinced. And if it doesn't sell you, Chase, I don't know what will. All right, fair enough. Russian email hackers. Trump uh, is open-ended on it. He says, we don't know. The Clinton call and the Democrats, me, Donald what do you Trump, think it was Russia? Don't tweet. Call me, boo. Call me. Do you think it it's... was Russia? You have proof? Yes. You do? Really? How so? Because yeah. we, we have brought in the best cybersecurity team in this country. Uh, here's the thing. CrowdStrike has a really bad reputation for way overhyping things. They One of the things they did was this threat dashboard that was total bullshit. They got these contracts with major companies and government institutions and delivered absolutely nothing. They have a bad, bad history. So when she says her proof is CrowdStrike, that alone is suspicious. But listen to her, listen to her and if you're watching the video version, check out her body language. Because we... We have brought in the best cybersecurity team in this country, and they, That's not they true. have seen this. They, they know the markers, and they've seen it in real time. They've seen the markers, and they know it in real time. Now, the markers, we've talked about that. That'd be the IP address associated with the Russian hacking form, and that would be that they also use software that they talked about on the Russian hacking form. That, though, isn't unusual because these tools are passed around. They're on common forms. They're usually based on common toolkits. So that's the markers are pretty weak. And Sean Henry, who is the president of CrowdStrike. Oh. He was the former cybersecurity expert at the FBI. Oh. (laughs) You're not winning points with that one. We have good sources that have told us it is foreign. It's foreign. 
We have good sources. That it's always foreign. She's not saying it's those sources, but it's good sources that it's foreign. And it's possibly Russian. Now, she went from, yes, we have proof, to we have good sources, it's foreign, and it's possibly Russia. But she's not done walking it back yet. Possibly or probably? Uh. <laughs> now she just said yes to the proof yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, but you know, I'm not. I'm not the security expert. I'm now she's backing up. She's ah. putting her hands up. <laughs> ah, yeah. I'm a security expert at the FBI. We have good sources that have told us it is foreign, and it's possibly Russia. Possibly or probably. Probably, but you know, I'm not. I'm not the security expert. I've been coming, but it is yes. It the DNC was a victim of a cyber security what I call intrusion. So you are not saying it's Russians. In fact, you're not even saying that's a nation. She could have said right here, the DNC is the victim of a nation-sponsored attack or a state-sponsored attack. Instead, she says they are a victim of a cyber intrusion. That is not the same thing. What I call intrusion. And guess what? They are still trying to hurt all of us, not just the DNC. Now, listen to the way she's swallowing. She tries walking this back and making it bigger. And you can tell she is floundering here. Now, what's amazing about this, she is she used to work for PBS News. She is not new to media. But even this level of bullshit is difficult for her to get out of her mouth. Watch her as the clip fades out. She ends with such a thud. They are still trying to hurt all of us, not just the DNC, but the entire country by, uh, you know, basically trying to dismantle all of our political operations in this country. (laughs) Oh, okay. So that's uh, that's the DNC's response to Trump's (laughs) statement in the debate is uh, just call me, boo. It's totally Russia, except for maybe not. uh, Kind of, maybe. We're all at risk. Yeah, get get protected. So I wanted to play this clip for you. Okay. Uh, There was one time and I overall full disclosure here. I think Hillary, I think if you're going to assign a winner. Yeah, I think it probably went to Hillary and I think it probably went to Hillary with a pretty good margin. And we'll talk about it more. We can we can debate that. But. There was moment during the debate, there was this moment where I thought it was Trump's strongest moment and and it was a clear warning shot across the bow of the Clinton campaign to drop an issue or else it's about to get dirty and it is cut out of everybody's coverage of Trump's debate performance. Mm. Every – I – I didn't want to have to, it was a 60 gigabyte file that I had sitting and I needed to copy it over <laughs> yeah, Wi-Fi. To get to it. <laughs> and I didn't want to have to go to my own source footage because we covered the debates live. I didn't yeah, want to rather just go get it from I wanted to just else. go yeah, find it. Yeah, so I'm looking yeah, around. Yeah. Everybody cut this moment <laughs> out of the debate nice. and it was Trump's finest moment. It's what I'm calling again, it's probably not the right terminology. I'm calling it the moment that Trump breaks the fourth wall. During the live stream, I was shocked that he did this. Lester goes after him about birtherism. And I expected Trump to have a total political answer. I don't know why, because it's Trump. But instead, he went after the Clinton campaign for it. And check it out. Mr. Trump, for five years, you perpetuated a false claim that the nation's first black president was not a natural-born citizen. You questioned his legitimacy. In the last couple of weeks, you acknowledge what most Americans have accepted for years. The president was born in the United States. Can you tell us what took you so long? I'll tell you very well. That was... Harder than any question he asked Hillary, by the way. Yeah. It's very simple to say. Uh, Sidney Blumenthal works for the campaign and close, very close friend of Secretary Clinton. And she's worked for Bill Clinton. She's worked for Senator Clinton. He's worked for the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, he's been there. And uh, her campaign manager, Patty Doyle, 
went to, during the campaign, her campaign against President Obama, fought very hard. And you can go look it up and you can check it out. And if you look at CNN this past week, Patty Solis Doyle was on Wolf Blitzer saying that this happened. Uh, Blumenthal sent McClatchy, highly respected reporter at McClatchy, to Kenya to find out about it. They were pressing it very hard. She failed to get the birth certificate. When I got involved, I didn't fail. I got him to give the birth certificate. So I'm satisfied with it. And I think this is so what he said is we didn't start it. Sidney Blumenthal started it. She couldn't get the birth certificate. Once I picked it up, not only did I pick it up, but I actually got the birth certificate. It actually was a pretty good response for this particular issue because the media has been hammering him for two weeks on this. And they all know that it was Sidney Blumenthal that kicked it all off. They know it because they reported on it in 2008. In fact, I have uh, – just to kind of demonstrate this – this is this is the sort of the subtlety at which they do this. But if you don't follow this stuff closely, you won't even notice this. But when NBC did like their follow up report on this, when, which this was an NBC event too, when they followed up on the quote unquote birther controversy, there's something very subtle that happens in this clip. Watch for this. Finally, on the birther conspiracy theory, we're talking about racial healing in this segment. What do you say to Americans? Well, it was very. I say nothing. I say nothing because I was able to get him to produce it. Trump once again fueling outrage. You see how they totally cut all the Sydney oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, as they do the voiceover for this, they are showing something that I played very recently on this stream. Oh, this clip is the debates in 2008 when it was first publicly asked to Hillary about all of this, and she responded. That while I don't condone it, and it probably didn't happen within my campaign, we fired the person responsible. This is where she admits it kind of and admits that she fired the person. Now, MSNBC doesn't play NBC doesn't play the audio of it. But as they're talking about the whole thing, they play the very moment where Hillary Clinton publicly essentially admitted to it. They know. They even play the moment in the background as B-roll, and they still blame Trump. Just in context, I'll I'll back it up so you can see the whole thing. But they're about to go to that debate shot from 2008. catch. And it is – that is the moment where they know what's going on, and they still are hitting Trump on it. Talking about racial healing in this segment, what do you say to Americans – Well, it was very – I say nothing. I say nothing because I was able to get him to produce it. Trump once again fueling outrage, blaming Clinton's 2008 campaign for starting the controversy. They were pressing it very hard. In fact, um, Obama was then later even – Obama even commented later on, and it's the reason why Sidney Blumenthal wasn't brought into the Obama administration after Hillary asked them. And if you have any doubts, stay tuned to the overtime where we're going to do more coverage on Sidney Blumenthal, including his involvement with the Clinton Foundation, his involvement with President Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's campaign, and the issues with the Obama administration. All of that's coming up in the overtime towards the end of the show. But uh, we want to move on to the debates. We could spend all day on Sidney yeah. Blumenthal. So uh, let's move on from that. There was, uh, of course, the back and forth about the Russia stuff. Um, did I – And you know, I, I don't really have much more I want to say about that. The birtherism stuff, I don't really have much more I want to say about that. I do think before we totally move off the Sidney Blumenthal stuff, before we completely transition, Chase, just for you, yes. I got a separate clip. I want you to watch Hillary's face when Trump name drops uh, Sidney Blumenthal. Okay. Well, just very simple to say. Uh, Sidney Blumenthal works <laughs> for <laughs> Sidney Blumenthal. 
Sidney Blumenthal. Sidney Blumenthal. She, that got her attention. Like, she wasn't really, I mean, she looks up at him, and that, that is, honestly looks a little afraid. This is what I think happened, is I think Trump went into this debate with a couple of warning shots. We'll get to another one here in a moment, but one of the warning shots was, it's time for you guys to drop this shit. I know I'm going to probably lose this thing anyway. Yeah, you need to drop it. And Let I don't want to go out with this. You're already going to win the women's vote. You drop all of this stuff. Drop the birtherism stuff. You're already going to win the black. Drop it. Let's move on. And I'm just going to start naming names now if you don't shut up. I think I would predict, my Red Book prediction would be that the Clinton campaign is going to back off on these particular topics now. Uh, and then I got a little cut for you. I was mentioning Lester. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, Donald Trump debating with Lester Holt. Good evening from Hofstra University in Hempstead, New York. I want to welcome you to the first presidential debate. The participants tonight are Donald Trump and Lester Holt, anchor of NBC Nightly News. Thank you, Lester. And Lester, 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 Lester. I tell you this. <laughs> how much for my family? It is. Lester, how as much? A bad thing. But we need Lester. And I will tell you this, Lester. It's not nice. This is our uh, Secretary Clinton's two minutes. This is, this is uh, Secretary Clinton's two minutes, yes. please. Mr. Mr. Well, well, I'd have to respond. Please respond. Very quickly. Uh, I will seconds. go very quickly. We need to move on. Wait, but it's very important. What do you say to Americans? Well, it was very, I say nothing. I say nothing because I'm please, extremely, with all of that money, over $200 million dollars is spent. We have just a, with an, we have and just a few final questions. He doesn't questions. say, Mr. Trump. And it's a, I was against the war in Iraq, just so you put it out. The record shows I, otherwise. The record does not show Why was you, is your judgment The record any, shows that I'm right. Actually, the record does. The record shows that he was unsure about it. That's what the record shows. I've got that clip in the supporters thing. The clip goes on for a few more, but you get you kind of right, get the yeah. idea. I th- okay, now I want to I want to play what I think was Trump's biggest fumble of the night, and I can't believe he did it because he's done it once before, and we couldn't believe he did it the first time, and this time he did it on the debate stage. I don't mind releasing. I'm under a routine audit, and it'll be released, and as soon as the audit's finished, it'll be released. But you will learn more about Donald Trump by going down to the federal elections where I filed a 104-page, essentially financial statement of sorts, the forms that they have. It shows income. In fact, the income, I just looked today, the income is filed at $694 million for this past year. That was the first time I think we've gotten that number. And I was surprised that he dropped that number in the debate. But it goes off the rails from here. If he would have ended it right there. Right. I think that would have been a perfect answer. $694 million. If you would have told me I was going to make that 15 or 20 years ago, I would have been very surprised. Okay, right but that's there. the kind of thinking that our country needs. When we have a country that's doing so badly, that's being ripped off by every single country in the world, it's the kind of thinking that our country needs because everybody... Lester, we have a trade deficit with all of the countries that we do business with of almost $800 billion a year. You know what that is? That means who's negotiating these trade deals? We have people. I actually think this particular part about the trade deals plays well to a large portion of the middle class who are in manufacturing. That are political hacks negotiating our trade deals. The IRS says an audit of your taxes. uh, You're perfectly free to release uh, your taxes during an audit. And so the question, does the public's right to know Hillary's outweigh your personal... Well, I told you, I will release them as soon as the audit. Look, I've been under audit almost for 15 years. I know a lot of wealthy people that have never been audited. I said, do you get audited? I think Lester got under his skin here because it, it just... it. Uh, 
Do you remember that time a couple of weeks ago when he said, well, if she releases the emails that she deleted, I'll release my taxes? Right, yeah. And that sounded like a really bad idea because it implies he could release his taxes whenever he wants? Yeah. I get audited almost every year. And in a way, I should be complaining. I'm not even complaining. I don't mind it. It's almost become a way of life. I get audited by the IRS. But other people don't. I will say this. Uh, we have a situation in this country that has to be taken care of. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. As soon as she releases them, I will release. I will release my tax returns. That's a bad play because oh, he could have. He could have done the other play, uh, your your spe- speech transcripts. <laughs> you know? That's would have been yeah, a much, much better much, play. Yes, and thank you for saying that because that's what I was thinking when I was watching it is go after the transcripts, go after the transcripts. No, the emails, people don't give a shit about the emails yeah, anymore. Yeah, and it, you're not going to unrecover those maybe, but you know the transcripts are there. They're existing. They're, re- they're there. You could do it. I, okay, now I want to play – I think Clinton overall performed much better and I want to play what I think was – her best zinger of the night, because not only does it cover for her taking time off the campaign trail to, to rest and recoup, but it also gave her the opportunity to give the I'll drone you fucker look. Watch her <laughs> eyes when she delivers the second part of this response. And she also clearly studied him. She knew he likes to raise the issue of her stamina or whether she campaigns hard enough. So when it came, she pounced. You look at the inner cities, and I just left Detroit, and I just left Philadelphia, and I just, you know, you've seen me. I've been all over the place. Uh, You decided to stay home, and that's okay. I think Donald just criticized me for preparing for this debate. Which, look at that. Look at that smile on her face. She was so ready for this question. Uh. And Donald was so caught off guard that he just kind of nods and accepts the pouncing he just is about to get. Right. And yes, I did. And you know what else I prepared for? Watch the I eyes. prepared to be president, and I think that's a good thing. If Hillary Clinton ever looked at me like that, I would shit my pants because <laughs> I, one, I got you. <laughs> one of the most in, po- powerful politicians in history is giving you the death look, and he's he does nothing but nod. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. And then the crowd, who's not supposed to be cl- clapping or cheering, gets riled up. Now I was watching the uh, ABC news feed. Which I know they all have pretty much the same feeds. Yeah, NBC's was always this two by two. And I was getting that on the ABC feed too, but the audio from the audience was more muted. Like you would hear the crowd and all of a sudden they'd be gone. And I thought it was a no, problem. No, no, they were doing that. What they would were, happen is they would they would mute the mics that were picking up the crowd. That's Yeah. Yeah, that happened a couple of times on the Why other wouldn't feed. they just keep them muted all the time? I, th- I, I don't know. It might have been like Lester's mic. Uh, that's got to be. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, it has yeah. To be. When I was listening, I thought a lot of times I thought, "Where's Lester? Yeah. What's Lester I doing?" I thought that the first five minutes in, I was yeah. like, "Where'd Lester go?" I actually, uh, I was when we were watching. If you watch the uh, the recap for our patrons, uh, the live coverage, I, I actually for a moment forgot about him, and it took like a little bit. Michael oh, Dominic was like, there. "Yeah, where's Lester?" Like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about Lester." Anyways, she. She was so she was so prepared for the stamina question. Uh huh. This is what the the Clinton campaign is really good with these zingers. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be president, and I think that's a good thing. Man, that that was I think probably Man, her best. Shut up. That was her best <laughs> moment of the debate. Right. Um, then 
I don't know. How, what, I want to get your opinion on how this played. This is getting portrayed, portrayed very badly, but I don't know if I agree with the way it's getting portrayed. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes. When she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted, as soon as she releases them, I will release, I will release my tax returns. You see how it quickly cut yeah, off right yeah, there? Yeah. That's the same thing. NBC feed on this case. Okay. So you've got to ask yourself, oh, CNN. why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. for. I thought this was also really good um, because what she's essentially saying here is Russia but she never says Putin. She never says Russia. She does it in a very smart way, the way that Hillary always does these kind of connections when it's her. Her campaign staff will get down in the dirty. But her, she's so good at this. This is, I think, what's probably going to be what pushes Hillary ahead is she's playing a different level of politics. Donald every now and then breaks the fourth wall by dropping Sidney Blumenthal's name or by implying he's going to bring up Monica Lewinsky but she is so good at spinning a popular narrative based on a meme that they have pre-planted. It is – it's I, – I actually think she's one of the best politicians at doing this. So watch the way she elegantly implies without saying it that he's tied to Russia. Maybe a couple of reasons. First, maybe – I'm going to back up a little bit so you get it. Right. Why won't he give us the money? Why won't he look – now, keep in mind what's also brilliant about this is the raw dog hypocrisy here. Clinton's taxes are the biggest joke and the Clinton Foundation is the – the tax filings for the Clinton Foundation are the biggest hodgepodge fuck up in IRS history. It is a real clown show. There are some people who speculate that Clinton's wealth is many times what they report on their taxes. So if there's ever in modern politics been a better example of how tax re- returns do not properly represent your wealth – Hillary Clinton's it. She's it. Right here, everybody. This is your poster child, the Clintons themselves. So the way she's able to hit Trump with this, when the truth is her tax filings reveal nothing. Right. And the way she's able to imply Russia without saying it is masterful. Why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that— The Washington Post, which investigated Donald Trump's loans and implied that he had connections to Russia money. He owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen— were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. This is this is so brilliant, too, for Clinton to really nail him because it's obviously a weak spot for Trump, yeah. and it's obviously an area that Hillary has been cognizant of for 30 years. She has been planning to be in the political spotlight for her entire professional career. So she, as a professional politician, has taken steps to make sure that she has no problems turning over her tax records. She has no problems turning over her medical records. 
This is part of her job. She expects to have to do it, so she has organized all of this for her entire adult life to be ready for it. Whereas Donald Trump has been in business, he's been creating businesses, failing businesses, trying things, doing all kinds of stuff, including crazy-ass television shows. And so he's he's not been pre-planning a massive presidential campaign for his entire life like she has. Let's be honest. So this is why it's such a brilliant area for her to nail him because it's a, it's one of the few areas that she really has locked down without much controversy. So it's it's really kind of a – it's one of these where she can go full bore and not have to worry about it. He didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, oh. that means zero. So what do you think about that? That was a bad line for him to zero say. Zero for troops, zero for vets, zero, I mean, for, troops, zero, zero for, vets. for schools I mean, or well, health. Here's the one thing, though. People, I think people want to see his tax returns because not only they obviously want to see how much he pays in taxes. Who does? No, no. Nobody no, no, that no, considers no, himself a Trump supporter today want, no, cares. No. You know why people want to see his tax returns? They want to know how us as common Americans can get away with not paying tax because if he gets away with it, we, we'll see how he does it. So then we can get away with it. Read my lips. No more taxes. What do Americans hate? Taxes. So if they find out that one of their presidential candidates has figured out the loopholes in the tax systems, well, doesn't that just make him an expert on the tax system and more more qualified to be in the office? Yeah, we want to see how he does it so we can do it. So why does the hell, why the hell doesn't he just release them? Because it would take the ammunition away from Clinton, and no, it's not like you, any more inferred damage could be done. Because because he's already he's painted the narrative that he is a multi billionaire, and he probably isn't. I he probably isn't. I mean, he's you know he's yeah he's probably got some money for sure, but not as much as he's bragged about. I mean, when he, I don't understand why that wouldn't make him connect more. I guess because he's been lying. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing the thing to to remember is you know they. You know, he's, you know, travels around by plane. He does all these things. And it's like, I feel like there's yeah. two issues where there's legitimate things to be concerned about. And the two issues that the American people don't care about are emails by Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's taxes. Right. I really, so I hear, and this, let's talk about our thoughts on the debate because this is my fundamental issue with the debate. They didn't cover anything that I think the American people give a shit about. Yeah. The people that I've met, the people that I talk to when I go out to uh, dinner with a viewer, which uh, uh, shout out to Mr. DeBill if he's listening. We recently had dinner with Mr. DeBill down there at the Ram. Yeah. You know, when I talk to him, when I talk to listeners, when I, talk, when, I, when I go on road trips, when people email into the show, the things that they care about, they're not discussing in these debates. That what they're talking about in these debates are the things that as a good American citizen you're supposed to care about. The stuff you're supposed to care about if you're a good American citizen. But in reality, they're not talking about the fact that you are month to month on your bills. They're not talking about the fact that Obamacare is really fucking me over right now. They're not talking about this stuff. They're not talking about the fact that we're droning in Yemen even though there's been no declaration of war. They're not talking about the fact that we've been in a constant state of emergency since 9-11. They're not talking about any of this stuff that we actually care about. you're right. Yeah. Because it's it's entertainment. It's turned into that. I mean, granted, there were no commercials during this. Thank God. I love that. Yeah, I mean, me too. But granted, and and they played that up a, uh, about a week or two ago, which, by the way, they haven't been commercials during the debates in, what, 20 years? <laughs> it would know. be completely inappropriate. It would totally be. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about what I feel like, and I want to get your take on it. Okay. What are the, the big takeaways for each candidate from this debate? And... uh 
I should have said this at the top. I would argue actually these debates are historically important. Oh, yeah. I, are, I said that too. My whole family, we were all watching it. There are moments everybody remembers sweaty Nixon uh, on the early debates. Everybody remembers Reagan saying, I won't hold my opponent's youth against him. There are <laughs> yeah. moments from the debates yeah. that are literally played 30 to 50 years yeah. after they've happened. These are historical moments, and that's why I think it's actually super important that we break these down. And I think it's within that lens I want to talk about the next subject. What are these two candidates taking away into the next debates and into the rest of the campaign? And I think – the big thing for Hillary, like the major win, wasn't the fact that she came across well prepared. Let's let's get really honest with ourselves. We all watched to see how she was doing health wise. We all wanted to see if she. Had I any... I saw po- moments during the debate. Her nodding, n- the nodding, the wide eyes a yeah, couple of times. But I think for yeah. overall, Donald Trump is he drank way he drank way more water. She didn't have a single sip of water. Uh, he, he he was sniffing. He was breathing heavier than she was. Now, he did bring up an interesting point, you know, during one of his talk the show stamina call-ins. thing? Well, not, no, not stamina. Oh. I'm talking about, he, you know, calls in the show and yeah. the, the re- rehash it. The microphone placement. Oh, you know, I want to talk about that too. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because, because I, and also her, her microphone was much closer uh, and his was was a different distance. And there I was some feedback too. Right. And, and I'm wondering, were they trying to hide her? I know the podiums were different. They talked about that, obviously. Hers was shorter. Right. So why wouldn't they have the microphones at least at the same place on the person's body? Two things. So um, number one, the uh, did you know that the Clinton campaign had to have a count of how many steps were on the on the stage, and they had to be a certain there was they like they had a limit on the amount of steps that were allowed on the stage. Wait, what? Yeah, and no, it was also I've never heard that. So the original request um, was to give her uh, basically a boost, right. to give a built-in boost for her to stand on, so she was as tall as Donald Trump. And instead, the compromise was for some reason the stool or whatever wasn't allowed. So what they did was they allowed her to have a custom podium that was paid for. I think. By the Clinton campaign. Okay. So she also likely had audio setup that was designed potentially by the Clinton campaign. That might have been why she sounded better. And I want to say something. I wow. I understand that the, 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 the Trump campaign has been pushing forward the meme that the mics were bad. During the production, while I was live streaming, from a complete and detached production standpoint – I was frustrated at the fact that Trump's audio was more echoey and had more yeah, feedback. Me too. Yeah, and I was I more was sensitive too during the live stream. I was wishing his audio was better, and I thought he had the shittier mic setup, and I wasn't sure why that was. Yeah. By the way, Clinton did have cough drops on her podium, ready to go. I have pictures of it. I think in the show notes. If not, you'll find them online if you just Google search it. Wow. So, I but I I think. She performed very well. I think she had great energy. I think she had sharp responses. Her meds were well balanced. Well, I, I think her takeaway is I think her campaign, and I don't know why, but I believe Donald Trump is complicit in this. They have managed to pivot from a collapse to a stumble to stamina. Yeah! She doesn't have the look, she doesn't have the stamina. I said she doesn't have the stamina, and I don't believe she does have the stamina. To be president of this country, you need tremendous stamina. As soon as he travels to 112 countries and negotiates a peace deal, a ceasefire, a release of dissidents, an opening of new 
uh, opportunities in nations around the world, or even spends 11 hours testifying in front of uh, a congressional committee. He can talk to me about stamina. One of the off-the-air Red Book predictions I had was that Hillary would use her State Department travel history as her stamina record. Now, you have to wonder, why was the uh, Clinton Foundation, I mean, why was Hillary Clinton traveling to all these countries? Anyways, so she had a great response to the stamina Stamina, stamina, stamina response, and then the media just propagates it. The world. The big notes uh, from last night: Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton back and forth over what has become a real issue on the campaign trail. Which candidate has the stamina? No, the real issue is what is Hillary's health condition to meet the demands of being president of the United States. That's not the issue. Nobody is. Has anybody been really truly questioning no. Trump's health? No. You know when I stopped questioning Trump's health, and I'm not even bullshitting you. It was months and months and months and months and months ago. It was uh, maybe even early summer. I can't remember. Before summer, possibly. Wow. Donald Trump was going to a campaign event. And there was a huge protest. And the roads got shut down. And like a gangster. And I even I think I even played this in the overtime. I, and I commented how he, Trump looked like a gangster at the time. Like a gangster. <laughs> the limo pulls over to the side of the road. And a bunch of dudes in suits get out of the car. And they all start jumping the freeway barriers and going I down like the that. side of the yeah, freeway and then was, jumping. That was, that was in California. And I jumping remember. over a cement barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized that one of those gangsters was Donald Trump. Yeah. And uh, watching Donald Trump get out of a car on the freeway and jump barriers. Go through bushes and get And then walk there. through bushes to go to an event. I was like, that man, that man is feeling pretty good. He, that is that is not something a dude does when his back hurts, right? right yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I I know that sounds like a dumb a dumb litmus test, but to me, I, I have not. I, I don't know anybody who's actually questioning Donald Trump's health, but I do know people that are questioning Hillary Clinton's health, and now that's transitioned to stamina is part of the debate, and I think when she when she dropped. Her visits to countries as Secretary of State, when she dropped her time, the 12 hours in the Benghazi meeting, and her overall performance where she looked less – she didn't look as flustered as Trump did. She looked less stressed out than he did. She came away looking top-notch. I think she yeah, came away she did well. answering that stamina I question. Agree. I don't believe she's legitimately answered the question, but I think in the public's mind, she did a great job. Yeah. Good thing she took the week before the debate off to, quote-unquote, prepare. Now, I also think Trump had himself an extremely successful moment, and it wasn't when he dropped Sid's name, Sidney Blumenthal. It was something else he did towards the end of the debate. Do you remember this moment where Trump Trump had this really awkward like moment where the, moti- where the momentum totally stopped where he's like, well, I was going to say something, but I've decided yeah. not to. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. That was odd. I was going to – yeah, I remember that. I yeah. think it was preplanned, totally intentional, and it's the number one thing he's going to take away from this debate. Mr. Trump, what was your favorite debate moment? Now, he could have said anything, but everyone associated with the Trump campaign, from his son to Rudy Giuliani and himself, all said the same exact thing. I just think it was very exciting overall, Dan. I thought the, uh, the outset was great. You know, you walk on, you don't know exactly what to expect. Uh, now, what do you think he's going to say next as the best moment? 
Uh, Based on all of the online polls, we did tremendous. Oh, actually, this part's great, too. We haven't had a real poll yet. Well, I mean, a real poll being their own. But the online polls were fantastic. I mean, you guys don't matter. The online polls, they yes. get hundreds of thousands, even millions yeah. of responses before you those, can even those, get those your dick ones. up. Yeah. I mean, you get it. When hundreds of thousands of people are calling in and voting, and you have 80 and 90 percent, you sort of get it. Anything that you wish you did differently? Now, okay, this is, this is, <laughs> I could have cued it right to here, really. This is the moment. This is so beautiful. And everybody, everybody had this talking point ready before the debate. No, I'm very happy that I was able to hold back on the, discre- you know, on the indiscretions with respect to uh, Bill Clinton because I have a lot of respect for Chelsea Clinton. So if, within regards to Bill Clinton, and I have a lot of respect for Chelsea Clinton. And I just didn't want to say what I was going to say. And which is? Say, which is, I'll tell you, maybe at the next debate. We'll so I held back. I held back. I used discretion because, you know, I looked out in the audience and I had a human moment. And I said to myself, Chelsea's sitting out there. And Chelsea, Chelsea shouldn't be brought into this, so I'm not going to say anything. Hmm. Yeah, I heard that too. I I, I don't know. It, 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 for me, I, I think he's uh, just trying to play to the crowd a bit. I think he honestly just had a brain fart. I, I think he. Oh, really? I I don't think he was holding back because. Oh man! Oh, do chase. I I always I always respect your opinion, but I think you are way you underselling really Donald so? Trump. You yeah. really think so? Do you remember when Hillary collapsed at the nine eleven event? Yeah. Trump's immediate response was. I hope she'd be. I hope she's okay. Yeah, I hope she's okay. We yeah. don't know what's going he on. Took the high road. I look. Yeah. Yeah. He knows w- when the birtherism thing got got to to the next level. Yeah. He immediately's like, I'm done with that. Let's not talk about it anymore. He knows when to pimp something to get attention, and he knows when to not. He knows when to just roll, duck, and cover, duck and cover. What he what this was, this I believe was a clear premeditated warning shot. Wow. To say if you don't drop some of these issues. I like this. I'm gonna. You want like You want to go after me for what I say about Miss America? You want to go after me for what I say about right. Miss Housekeeping? Yeah. I'm gonna come at you for the fact that your husband rapes women. I'm gonna come at you for the fact that even an email that was just released from Colin Powell in the last couple of years says the bill is still banging bimbos. I'm gonna come at you with this if you want to keep this line of pursuit. And I think that was his warning shot to say, I know about this stuff, and I'm taking the high ground right now. He's off script. What do you, you think it's possible? That's very possible. I like I like that thought because it, it does play into the kind of style that he has. Yeah, and, and so I, man. And then he had the Sidney Blumenthal line earlier, which yeah, was also he, kind of like a drop the fourth wall, drop yeah. the birtherism thing right now, or else I'm going to bring this to you. That's kind of my bacon. I don't know if I'm right, but it feels like that might have been what they were doing, and what that was was the Trump campaign basically. This is how it happens: is they publicly negotiate something. I have this weapon. You have this information. Right. If you drop this information, I won't launch this weapon. Now, it's going to be inter- interesting to see if she brings it up in debates two and three, which next debate, what is, uh, uh, I think it's like October 9th. Yeah, I want to say uh, first part or Next October? Uh, 2016 debate. I'll go look it up, but I think it's the 9th. And uh, we were live streaming this one. Yeah, October 9th, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, to 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. So, uh, yeah, Sunday, October 9th. Man, that's going to be a busy day for me. That'll be a busy day. So I I, th- I feel like both of them walked away. Hillary got the questions about her stamina resolved. I think unless she has unless unless she has another episode in public, 
she has this problem solved. And let's be frank with ourselves. Once she gets into office, the image of her will be even more controlled and her having some sort of episode or event will be even less likely to happen in front of the public. So if she can just make it for the next 50 days or so, she's in. She's answered the stamina question. If she can play out the next couple of debates, keep her actual campaigning schedule light, she's in. She's good. Uh, So we'll see how the next couple go with now that this sort of new – the new lines have been drawn between the two campaigns. Um, She's definitely benefiting from a boost of coverage. I really thought no matter how the – no matter – I thought even if like somehow Trump did manage to win the debate, that the media would still say Hillary won. And I think the fact that kind of Hillary did likely win – I think Trump probably owned the first 12 minutes of the debate. I think he came in really strong with trade, which which will play to a lot of middle class. It's very important. I think he nailed her a couple of times when it came to the birtherism stuff. So I think he – I think for a good 15 minutes or so, maybe 12 minutes of the – so he he really probably owned the debate. But I think overall – she had a lot of zingers ready to oh, go. Oh, she had the practice. She yeah. was ready to rock. Yeah. I, but I, I do honestly, at the core of me, believe no matter how this debate went, the media was going to play it for Clinton. Oh, yeah. And if you don't believe that, witness this this moment in media bias where they literally cream their pants when Hillary makes a joke. They 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 giggle. They they squeal in delight when Hillary makes a little bit of joke that is like <laughs> – it's like 10 percent of a Trump joke. Oh, hold on. I muted because there was some buzz. some buzz. So this is Hillary. This is actually from today, too. Uh, she's wearing one of the uh, four a- outfits that she normally wears. I don't uh, point that out uh, for any other reason. I just think it's unusual. I think it's unusual. And I wonder if maybe it's because she's wearing like a bulletproof vest or something like that. But anyways, this is Hillary nailing Trump with a zinger. But the real the real thing of interest is listen to the media's reaction. And that's what I'll do for the American people. What about you? I am looking forward to it. What about you? What about his stamina? What about his stamina? So she's walking away. She's wrapped it up. She said thank you. But when the stamina question comes up, she can't help herself. And man, she must be feeling good because she nails it. What about his stamina? Anybody who complains about the microphone is not having a good night. Oh. Oh. That's good. She's so good. That and that I believe was truly and look at that guy's camp look at the campaign uh. guy behind her. And look at her smile too. She's proud of that. She is pr- but that was good. That was a good line. However, she's like I wrote that. No, I I think I honestly think that was improv. I will give her that. However, I think Trump's mic was fucked up. I really do believe that because I was feeling that during the entire debate. I think Trump is the kind of person who comments on that. And the only reason why I say that is if you watch the live stream of Trump events, it is almost it is almost like a tradition for him to bitch about the facilities. He'll often bitch about the lighting. He'll bitch about the temperature. He'll bitch about the audio. It's like it's part of the live stream Trump experience. And and we've also commented how often the Hillary Clinton audio sucks. And and recently, within the last three or four or five events, it's been getting it's better. better. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The microphone is not having a good night. <laughs> <laughs> you hear the media there? Oh, 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 oh. What about his stamina? What about his stamina? Anybody who complains about the microphone is not having a good night. <laughs> <laughs> That's your unbiased media, everybody. Oh, my goodness. A little zinger there at the end, right? Hillary Clinton talking about... Anybody who had microphone problems is having a real problem. As you know, earlier this morning, Donald Trump was complaining about microphone problems. Oh, Carol, CNN. Stop it. Now, I want to do I, mm, I want to do a little uh, email stuff. There's some been 
literally breaking today. Some major developments. Okay. I want to get into that Reddit IT guy stuff. But just for a moment, I want to, I want to talk about what bothers me about Hillary. Have you ever watched her and felt like you're getting a genuine human connection with her? Like, have you ever watched no. her and been like, that's a real person? No. So uh, this next clip is being played on a lot of right-wing media as, look at Hillary. She's going crazy. In fact, Donald even inferred to this moment during the debate. I, I, I don't think I, – I, I, I don't think this is like some sort of medication imbalance. I don't think this is her, this is her being crazy. I think what you have is a, a, a well-practiced persona that has different gears and sometimes it's in a high-energy gear. Sometimes it's in a compassionate, concerned gear right. and sometimes like – right. and sometimes it's angry. And I, I feel like she got in the angry gear and it got weird. And I just want to play this clip because I think it demonstrates the personas that Hillary Clinton projects. And bargain collectively and I will fight back against so-called right to work. Right to work is wrong for workers and wrong for America. Now, having said all this, Watch your hands. why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? What? Like, that's even weird, right? Yeah. Having said all this, why aren't – like, she, she's getting really aggressive and then her hands start getting into the act here. It's, it's, it gets kind, kind of, of uncomfortable to watch. All this, why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Well, the choice for working families has never been clearer. Look at her eyes. I need your help to get Donald Trump's record out to everybody. Isn't this weird? Nobody should be fooled. He proudly declared himself. She's trying to one act. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously reading a script and she's trying to act. Is this her forcing high energy and it comes off as super awkward? Yeah. This is obvious. right to work. He even hired a union-busting firm to break up an organizing campaign at his hotel in Las Vegas, where you are right now. So this is like some sort of video that's playing for a crowd because she couldn't make it there herself? Yeah. And he built up his wealth. By stiffing small businesses and contractors. Okay, so so far, I'm like, this is a weird, awkward energy, but let's see if she can wrap this up for us. You ready? Yeah. That goes against everything we stand for as a country. My dad was a small business. I'm. What? 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 Whoa, what? what did she say? What? Did, wait, 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 wait. What? <laughs> really? did, what did she just say? Did she just say that her dad was a small business? Yeah. <laughs> okay. My dad was a small business. I'm just businessman. I'm just happy he never oh, did business, business with man. Trump. Oh, businessman. She corrects. <laughs> so she totally butchers the ending line. And she had such a solid line coming here. I'm just happy he never did business with Trump, but she butchers it with my dad was a small business. I'm just businessman. I'm just happy he never did business with Trump. <laughs> so that's. That's my problem with Hillary is it's hard to it's hard to really form an opinion about a woman who seems so disingenuous uh, and at and, 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 and literally every every single uh, freaking different turn. Uh, 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 so uh, let's talk about the FBI. Let's talk about all of this and, of course, their investigation into the IT worker and references that were made to Hillary. There was a document dump on Friday. We learned uh, from the FBI that an IT contractor managing Hillary Clinton's private email server made reference to the, quote, Hillary cover-up operation. And You and I were talking about this on Friday when this happened. And did you remember what you said about the, quote-unquote, document dump? What's that? I don't remember my prediction. Sorry. No, it wasn't a prediction. Oh. You said, oh, surprise, surprise, another Friday dump. 
Oh, that's right. Friday news dump. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this is your. So the Friday news dump, and I don't know if we've maybe. I don't know if we've really explained. We, this. We've explained it. I Have think. We? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So the Friday news dump is basically the news you don't want anybody to cover. Right. Because by the following Monday, you're already on the next subject. And that is actually what happens every time. It works like a charm. There was a document dump on Friday. We learned uh, from the FBI that an IT contractor managing Hillary Clinton's private email server made reference to the, quote, Hillary cover-up operation in a work ticket. He used those words after a senior Clinton aide asked him to automatically delete emails after 60 days. This IT worker certainly sounded like he thought he was covering something up, no? Look, Jake, I, first of all, I'm actually glad you asked this question because <laughs> I don't think he's glad, Chase. A lot of this stuff is swirling around there uh, in the ether. Uh, it's important to pull back and look at the facts here. The FBI did a comprehensive and deep investigation. And- all right. So the FBI did a comprehensive and deep investigation. They gave they granted immunity to people. I mean, they really looked into this, which I means I'm sure they did some Google searches. Now, I want to take you to today. This was a hearing, an oversight of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and they had questions about the Hillary Clinton email investigation, and the Reddit IT guy happened to come up. Now, you just heard from a Clinton campaign spokesperson, the the people that are speaking on behalf of what is most likely the next president of the United States. The FBI did a comprehensive and deep investigation. So let's listen to James Comey as he answers the question and gives us an idea of how deep that investigation was. Five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Director, uh, I've got a lot of concerns, but one of them uh, refers to Reddit. At the time that uh, the Department of Justice, at your behest or your involvement, gave Paul Combetta immunity. So the guy on Reddit that asked about removing email addresses and then deleted his post was granted immunity a while ago. Did you you do so... uh, Knowing about all of the posts he had on Reddit and capturing all of those posts and correspondence where he was asking how to wipe or completely erase on behalf of a very a VVIP, so to speak. So if you guys aren't familiar, we linked to it last week. This guy on Reddit said, I have these VVIPs. I mean, they're more important than you could even imagine. You think you know how important they are? They're more important than that person. And here's what I got to do. I got this exchange server, and I got to clear I got to blank out these email addresses because I got to hand these emails over. Can you give me ideas how to do it? And then he had follow-up after follow-up question. And when this became public about a week ago, I watched – I'm, I'm really grateful because it happened when I was, I was watching all of this go down. And other people had the foresight – and I have, I have it all in the sink from last week. They had the foresight to capture this guy's – to do a screen cap of this guy's – As Reddit, he was deleting stuff. And yeah. he's deleting stuff in real time. So there's – it's pretty obvious the FBI had no idea about this because if they did, he would have been deleting it a while ago. Right. And, and it's obvious that this deep investigation that the Clinton campaign – Wasn't that deep. Wasn't that deep. And so here is information that was publicly available that people like Chase, Matt, and I dug up online just looking into it themselves found. This is – the reason why this information is important, and uh, and you can go back and watch our previous episodes, the fundamental deciding factor for the FBI pressing charges against Hillary Clinton or not – was James's determination that no laws were intentionally violated. 
we later found out that Hillary Clinton said like what was it forty seven times or something like that yeah. that she couldn't yeah. remember. Yeah. We later found out that she had representation that was questionable. We later found out they didn't record the interview. But during the interviews, when they asked her about questions, she couldn't remember. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I don't know what C stood for. So they could never prove that she intentionally broke the law. And so therefore, they couldn't really pin anything on her. If you're going to go after one of the most powerful politicians in the world's history. Right. I'm not even saying the U.S. history. I'm saying in the world's history. If you're going to go after one of those one of the most powerful political figures ever, you have to have a rock solid case, something super super solid that she can't challenge because of course she's going to counter challenge and because because he couldn't prove her intention he didn't have that solid foundation the problem is the issue is and this is a big problem for the clinton campaign this is a big problem for hillary these reddit posts by this it guy who was directed by Cheryl Mills, a close Clinton advisor, directly to delete all of these emails or to delete these email addresses, that was these questions and that command were issued after the discovery order. That's right. Which significant. is extremely significant because the discovery order implies you cannot alter any of the evidence. You must leave it all as is so we can look at it, we can discover. And these questions and these actions were taken after that discovery order was placed, and these Reddit posts prove it. I'm not sure sitting here. My recollection is, and and I'll check this and fix it if I'm wrong, that we had some awareness of the Reddit posts. I don't know whether our folks had read them all or not. We had a pretty... We had some awareness of the Reddit posts, and I'm not sure if my folks read them or not. These Reddit posts literally confirm a timeline where they were proactively altering evidence after they were told to turn it over. It is fundamental to the case, and he's not sure. Now, I understand that he is at a high level and that there are thousands of agents below him and many divisions. I don't think it would be even a tiny, tiny exaggeration. It's not even the, it's not even an echo of an exaggeration to say that this case was the most important case of this man's career. There has never been potentially a, a more important case in front of the FBI. Let's keep Hillary Clinton is a former first lady, a senator, and now most likely the next president of the United States. There has never been. It could have fundamentally altered the course of the 2016 election. There is. No way there has been a more pressured, more important case for this man. And he can't recall, he can't remember if they have read what is fundamentally the most important timeline component of the case. He can't, yeah, I know. He can't recall yeah. that. Yeah. Very a VVIP, so to speak. I'm not sure sitting here. I, my recollection is, and I'll, and I'll check this and fix it if I'm wrong, that we had some awareness of the Reddit posts. I don't know whether our folks had read them all or not. We had a pretty good understanding of what we thought he had done, but, but that's my best recollection. Okay, in the last— That is such strong—that's like Biff crashing into a thing of horse manure. So <laughs> that's how strong that smell is. Yeah. Week, in mass, he's been deleting them from Reddit posts. Is that consistent with uh, preserving evidence? <laughs> Great uh, question. And I, and I say that because there's still an ongoing uh, interest by Congress. So that guy, when he deleted his posts, he was he was deleting evidence for a congressional investigation. Deleting them from Reddit post. Is that consistent with uh, preserving evidence? 
Uh, and, I, and I say that because there's still an ongoing uh, interest by Congress, and only in spite of Reddit's own senior, what they call flack team, trying to hide it, only because a few people caught it. Do you know there's a flack team? No. Yeah, I think it was like the conspiracy subreddit that caught this. Wow. Do we even know about it? And is this, uh, this and other committees interested in getting the, the backups that may exist on these deletions? So Congress is trying to get the backups from Reddit. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I guess my question to you is, uh, is he destroy, destroying evidence relevant to uh, congressional inquiries? And I'll answer it for you. Yes, he is. And what are you going to do about it? That's not something I can comment on. <laughs> the director of the FBI, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, let me go into something that concerns this body uh, in a very specific way. Uh, as a former chairman issuing subpoenas, I issued a subpoena. And additionally, I, I issued preserve letters. In addition to that, now Chairman uh, Chaffetz issued whatever effectively preserve letters. Some of them were directly to Hillary Rodham Clinton while she was still secretary. Others, the subpoena in 2013 was to Secretary Kerry. Uh, these individuals destroyed documents pursuant or, or took it out of federal custody pursuant to our subpoena and our discovery. As a result, they committed crimes. My question to you is, when I was a, a, a chairman and I wanted to grant immunity to somebody, I had to go notice the Department of Justice, and you were consulted. Isn't that correct? In a particular matter? In any matter. I don't know whether the FBI is consulted in that circumstance. Okay. For Director of the FBI doesn't know the answer to that question. For, your, for the record, yes. The Department of Justice does not grant immunity without checking with federal law enforcement to see whether it will impact any ongoing investigation. Keep that in mind as we go forward. The J Department of Justice does not grant wow. immunity. I want to play it again because it's actually really important for the next couple of clips. So the Department of Justice does not grant immunity without consulting with the FBI. I don't know whether the FBI is consulted in that circumstance. Okay. For, your, for the record, yes. The Department of Justice does not grant immunity without checking with federal law enforcement to see whether it will impact any ongoing investigation. That's the reason we have a requirement to give notice. When the reverse was occurring... You were granting, handing out like candy, according to some, uh, immunity. Did you, or to your knowledge, Department of Justice, uh, confer with Chairman uh, Goodlatte, Chairman Chaffetz, Chairman Smith, or any of the other chairmen who had ongoing subpoenas and investigations? Not to my knowledge. So isn't there a double standard that when you granted immunity to these five individuals, you took them out of the reach of prosecution for crimes committed related to destruction of documents or withholding or other crimes pursuant to congressional subpoenas? So not only was the IT guy granted immunity who did the actual act of destruction, but Cheryl Mills, longtime Clinton associate, was the person who was – when Hillary wanted something, she was the – Hillary didn't email the IT guy or didn't contact Oh, no. It always went through Cheryl. Exactly. Yeah. So Cheryl was granted immunity if they let – if she let the FBI, you know, take a look at her laptop. Right. I don't think anybody was given transactional immunity. Oh, really? Now, we have not allowed to make your immunities public, but I'm going to take the privilege of making one part of it public. Now, I want to stop right here. I want to stop right here because this is something that nobody else is covering. 
patreon.com slash unfiltered. This will not be on any news network that you watch. This is only made possible because a few people at patreon.com slash unfiltered have decided to support this show. And the next thing that you are about to hear is probably something you've never known your entire life. No one has ever told you, and no media company has any interest in you ever hearing. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Please keep this show going for another 200 episodes. I'm going to back it up. I want you to hear this entire thing. Subpoenas? I don't think anybody was given transactional immunity. Oh, really? Now, we have not allowed to make your immunities public. Did you know the FBI keeps their immunities private? I didn't know that, and I want you to hear the next part. This is super important. But I'm going to take the privilege of making one part of it public. I read them. You gave immunity from destruction to both of those attorneys, not just turning them over, the documents over, specifically destruction. You did the same thing with these other, these other two individuals. The FBI and the Department of Justice gave them immunity from destruction. Cheryl Mills is also an attorney, so she can act as Hillary's legal counsel And she can take certain privileges that only attorneys can take, and she can be granted immunity. They were given immunity from destruction of data. This is huge. Turning them over, the documents over, specifically destruction. You did the same thing with these other these other two individuals, uh, Brian and uh, and Paul uh, Cometa. You gave them immunity from destruction. Yeah, I don't think, well, again, I could always be wrong, but I don't have them in front of me either. Well, because you don't let us take them out of the skiff, it's a little hard for us, too. But the fact is, when well, you read I them... my answer? I, I'm pretty sure that what was granted was use immunity. Uh, in the case of those two people, coextensive with 18 U.S.C. You see, it's funny because Comey here, he's pretty sure. However, ISA, <laughs> he's read them himself. 6001, which means no statement you make can be used against you directly or indirectly. Transactional immunity is sometimes given also by prosecutors, says you will not be prosecuted in any event for this set of facts. I don't think there was any transactional immunity. Well, when I read for both of the attorneys that immunity was granted, it's in both cases said destruction. See, this has not been public information because you can't take these documents out of a room. You sign them when you come into the room. You read the documents. You read. You go, okay, good to know. You walk out. You sign that you've left. They check that you haven't smuggled any documents. This is something that they keep private. This, he is putting this into a public hearing to expose the fact that this is going on. In any event, for this set of facts, I don't think there was any transactional immunity. Well, when I read for both of the attorneys that immunity was granted, it's in both cases said destruction in addition to the turning over. Why was that? Why would you believe that was necessary or do you believe that would be necessary? You wanted the document. You wanted the physical evidence. Why did you have to give them immunity from destruction of of materials? And and because my time is expiring, when you look into it and hopefully get back to this committee, I'd like to know, does that immunity apply only to destruction on the uh, computers delivered so that other destructions by, by Cheryl Mills could still be prosecuted? Yeah, again, I, my recollection is no transactional immunity was given. A protection of statements was given to the, to the, the Combetta guy and uh, Mr. Pagliano. And of course, since Thank I you, Mr. Chairman. since ICE has read the documents itself, we know that's not true and it wouldn't be public unless he said it during a public hearing. Last bit of, uh, actually two more things we'll wrap up with Comey. Um, 
it wasn't so officially it wasn't the FBI that gave out the immunities. It was the Justice Department. And if you recall, it was the Justice Department that referred or I'm sorry, deferred to Comey. It was Loretta Lynch, the head of the Justice Department, who met with Bill Clinton. It was Loretta Lynch, who has connections with the Clinton Foundation, who get, who actually gave the immunities out. Uh, who authorized granting Cheryl Mills immunity? I'm sorry. Who authorized granting Cheryl Mills immunity? It's a decision made by the Department of Justice. I don't know at what level inside. In our investigations, the, uh, if anything, any kind of immunity comes from the prosecutors, not the investigators. Okay. Uh, did she request immunity? I don't know for sure what the negotiations involved. I believe her lawyer asked for act of production immunity with respect to the production of her uh, so they don't even talk to her. They're talking That's to her lawyer. That's my understanding. But again, the FBI wasn't part of those conversations. They were, no. they were interfacing with her lawyer the entire time. All right. Uh, so here is something that's kind of interesting. We get a little more information on why Cheryl Mills got immunity. But here's something I didn't know. I, maybe I missed this. Cheryl Mills sat in with Hillary Clinton's interview with the FBI as her lawyer, because she actually is a lawyer, she just turns this on and off as Hillary needs it. So when she has to sit in with Hillary to coach her and help her answer stuff to the FBI, well, now now today she's Hillary's lawyer. Director Comey, why was Cheryl Mills granted immunity in the classified data investigation for Secretary Clinton? The Department of Justice uh, Not wrote my fault. a letter to Cheryl Mills's lawyer that gave her what's called active production immunity for the production of her laptop. So it's not personal immunity for her. It was the, the uh, immunity was we will not use, we, the Department of Justice, directly against you anything we recover on this laptop. Fairly common tool in criminal investigations, but that's what it was. And the judgment was, we, the FBI's judgment was, we need to get to that laptop. We need to see what it is. This investigation has been going on for a year. I believe... Their, their motivation was, we think this might be connected to President Obama. We think he might be using some sort of nickname. He's emailing Hillary. We need to know if national security was massively breached. And so we make the judgment call that we will grant her, Cheryl Mills, an immunity so that way we can go through her laptop. And this was, in the negotiation, a tool that her lawyer asked for that the Department of Justice granted so we could get the laptop. Thanks. Was she then Secretary Clinton's lawyer? in Secretary Clinton's interview with you, and is that irregular? Our understanding was she was acting as a member of her legal team. Yes. Uh, not irregular, not the FBI's job to decide who can be in a voluntary interview. So look, yeah, I mean, it was really weird and that they were able to plan for this and they knew that eventually if it came down to this, Cheryl Mills could protect her. <laughs> but the FBI can't do anything about this. Secretary Clinton's interview with you, and is that irregular? Our understanding was she was acting as a member of her legal team, uh, not irregular, not the FBI's job to decide who can be in a voluntary interview. Uh, there are ethical canons that govern lawyers, but we don't police that. If it was a judicial proceeding, the judge might police who could be there representing an individual, but that's not something that we could do anything about in a voluntary interview. <laughs> Too bad. So there's the latest on the Hillary. So when we talk about Trump's taxes. Yeah. I, for some reason, can't seem to find that all that important compared to that. I do have a couple of trip, uh, clips on Trump, and then we're all wrapped up. It's a long show, but we're all wrapped up. After this, and this is one of the probably, if it wasn't for the debates, this is what we would have been talking about with Donald Trump. This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah. 
He was Donald Trump's closest and arguably fiercest competitor during the primary. Now, Texas Senator Ted Cruz is endorsing Donald Trump. He just posted moments ago. What do you think about this? Never Hillary. He can't. He just can't bring himself to it. No, he he has to jump on the, the Trump train just in case Trump gets in. You know, he doesn't want to be on the bad side. I actually think it's the total opposite. Really? Now, this is my red book bias, I will admit. But what I think is, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually play a Ted Cruz clip in the overtime coming up here in just a moment that I think might back this up. I think Ted Cruz is hedging his bets. He's going to run again. And he thinks Trump's going to lose. So he has nothing to lose by endorsing the Republican nominee. Uh, he looks like a party guy. He can say at the end of the day, I couldn't stand up for Hillary. I couldn't let that happen. I had to. I had to vote for – I had to go for Donald. And then, of course, when Donald loses – right. Then and he can separate, and in then he'll four run years. again. He'll run it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's what I think he did. That's not a bad theory. You think so? I like it. Thank you. Thank I you. Like it. I, I think both work, though. I mean, if if Trump gets in, Cruz looks like the hero. Yeah, uh, and if he doesn't get in, he can go in four years. There's some climate change stuff going on with the Donald as well. But you know what? I will save all of the conjecture, all of the crazy stuff. For the overtime, because we have a packed overtime coming up. It was a good one. It was a very good one. Patreon.com slash unfilter if you've enjoyed the show. But Mr. Chase, perhaps, perhaps I would like to see Mr. Chase in a different setting, a more gaming setting, more technology focused setting. Yeah. You got great insights, buddy. Where can I find more of that? Come check it out at geekgamer.tv. We're, uh, you know, we got all our packs coverage up there now. And so you can check that out. And we had some great interviews. uh, to share and we're also pushing out news content geek content every single week so you can check that out as well and uh, you can follow that on twitter too at geek gamer tv nice what about yourself you can follow me on twitter at nunes n-u-n-e-s did you know i'm on twitter i know i think you're chris las right you got it buddy yeah at jupiter signal for the network I just got back from the Open Daylight Summit. You were I, I saw you down there in Bellevue. You went to yeah. Lunchbox Labs. Dude, have you been there? Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. OMG, OMG, OMG. I can't. I, oh, I can't. I know. The burgers were so good. I know. Good. They, yeah. they were epic. Yeah, I think I'm going to talk about it in this week's Linux Action <laughs> Show. I got to talk about it. So tune in Sunday for that. But, you know, you can find out about this show and all of our live shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. That's where our robots as long as we still control them, convert it to your local time zone <laughs> right. to tell you about our lifetimes. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact is where you go to send the Unfilter Show your ideas. If you want to send me an encrypted email, go to keybase.io slash chrislas. Then you send me in your tips. I've been getting some good ones. Thank you, everybody. Yes. And uh, then you send an email encrypted to me at chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Otherwise, hit the contact page. And if you're in the 33 Club... You get you, into the box every single week. Yeah. And by the way, I get those uh, uh, those contact form submissions now yeah, as well. even if it's not in the box. Right. And so if something's really good that I think needs to be said on the show, don't worry. It will be on the show. So yeah, please buddy. send yeah, in buddy. your content. Yeah, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And last but not least, if there was a story you didn't hear us talk about, submit it. Unfilter.reddit.com. And if you're on YouTube... Give us support for long-form news content by giving us a thumbs up and leaving some content because we're getting buried over there. And if you're on the YouTube audience, you've listened this long, we need your support. Yeah. All right, everybody. Stick around. We got an overtime you won't believe. But in the meantime, we'll be back next Next week.
Oh no. Prepare yourselves. If you're not wearing your seatbelt, get a seatbelt. If you don't have a seatbelt, you're probably not in the car. It's time for overtime! I don't know what that means! Uh, 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 uh. We did not get a huge turnout this week. But a special thank you to Michael, Josh, Hertz, and Frederick, our four new patrons. Let me double check. Let me double check the bin because four, four does not feel appropriate to the amount of work that went into your most recent unfiltered show. So let me double check the queue. Yes, we have one more. Aha, Shimmy. Thank you. You saved us five, five patrons. Well, that's. That's something. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us at patreon.com slash unfilter. This overtime is dedicated to you. Also, don't forget, I posted, I'm sure I've mentioned this already in the show, our debate coverage, our live commentary debate coverage there. Let's start with a little bit of news in the overtime. There were some stories that uh, if they had come out maybe an hour earlier would have made it into the main show. So I want to start there. We knew what sort of missile was responsible because that was established by an earlier investigation. Oh, I should probably fill in the backstory here. He is talking about MH17. So all of a sudden we've got a bunch of more information on MH17. Russian-made Buk uh, surface-to-air missile system. That's contentious because both Russia and Ukrainian forces operate that particular uh, anti-aircraft system. Russia has always insisted it had nothing to do with it, but this two-year-long international criminal investigation says that it has found overwhelming evidence that says... Otherwise, through examining social media posts, that's video, pictures, through looking at mobile uh, cell phone towers, uh, intercepted phone calls and witness accounts, this investigation says that it has accumulated a vast amount of evidence that shows this particular missile system was brought from territory of the Russian Federation into Ukraine. It then progressed in a convoy to the position where it was fired and shot down that uh, airliner MH17, killing all 298 people on board. And then it returned to Russia the very next day. Now, this is a criminal investigation. It's an update on a criminal investigation. Its purpose is to ultimately bring people to justice, bring Uh them before a court. Today, the investigators didn't want to say too much about that, except that they believe they have identified some 100 people or so linked to the transportation or the firing of the weapon system. Ah. And so now they are trying to examine or get further information on the chain of command, who ultimately ordered that missile system to move into that position, lock on to that aircraft and fire. They didn't say it specifically, but the implication of this is that this investigation is now focused on serving Russian military personnel. Carol. So, so um, I know you sort of intimated it, but who exactly could be charged with the crime for blowing... I mean, and let's remind viewers, this was a passenger plane. This is not enemy aircraft over Ukraine. No, indeed. So Malaysia Airlines flight uh, from uh, Amsterdam uh, flying over Ukrainian airspace with 290, 298 people on board. Finding out who did this is obviously the very difficult part. And they say that they are now working on that next step uh, of the investigation. Where that progresses from here, it's really unclear, Carol, because Russia continues to deny that it was involved. Yeah, I bet they do. I bet they do. Um, I'll leave it up to you to conclude if social media posts and cell towers are enough. Perhaps they are. I suppose it depends on how well you can vet them.
Hillary's flip-flopping on the TPP is super uncomfortable for Obama because the narrative of why Obama wants Hillary is, well, she's my, she's my legacy holder. She'll preserve the Obama legacy, and TPP is a massive part of Barry's legacy. So the, the White House, it, they don't like it when you point out the fact that Hillary diverges on a major topic like this. So that's why it's with extra special glee I play this clip of the White House, White House spokeshole for you. It just seems like a um, like such a contradiction on such a huge issue that he feels so strongly about. And so, so let's, assume, let's assume for a moment that, that somehow this does get passed. Then, then clearly the next president is opposed to this. What does that say to our allies? What does it say to... Um, I mean, it, it's, how, how is this thing ever going to become take root and actually become a significant part of, of, um, of our country's policy if both future presidents are, are against it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think it's just a difference of opinion. Oh. And, um, uh, so, so at some point, does he expect Secretary Clinton to just to flip on this? Again? No, I, I take her at a word. So oh, I'll sure, yeah, no, opinion, totally. Uh, and her position on this issue. With regard to the policy... Uh huh. What, Josh? The other uh-huh. eleven countries that are party to this agreement are counting on the United States to be true to our word. Some of them have already started imp- implementing the kinds of reforms, reforms that benefit the United States, but those reforms are contingent on. See, they're going to refine this. This is their early pitch, but their pitch is going to be. You can already tell. Well, Hillary, once she got into office, she was against the TPP, but we have to live up to the commitments that her predecessor made. The completion of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that our ability to raise labor standards, That's to right. uh, uh, raise human rights standards, uh-huh. to improve intellectual property protection, oh, there to raise it is. environmental standards in these countries uh, in the Asia-Pacific, those are all policies that benefit the United States. That's right. Both in terms of being consistent with our values, That's but right. also... Uh, in terms of leveling the playing field so that American workers and American businesses uh-huh. uh, will have uh, an opportunity to fairly compete. Uh-huh. Um, and other countries are interested in the United States following through on our commitment and implementing the agreement. <laughs> and the president heard a whole lot about this when he was traveling in Asia he heard a lot uh, about earlier it. this month. Uh, and Top of, top of the um, list. So this is something that uh, the president sees as, as a priority. Uh, and... We know that the U.S. business community that, as I mentioned, uh, is typically aligned with the Republican uh, Party. It's typically not uh, so supportive uh, yeah, of an Obama yeah. administration policy. But in this instance, they are advocating to Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill that this is something that uh, we need to get done. Look, Obama's super right here. When you were talking about the national security. Well, we'll leave it there. There you go. That was his uncomfortable. Yeah, OK, Sure. They're, they're, they don't agree, but we should totally live up to our responsibilities. Totally live up to them. Now, I want to cover a little bit of the bomber. The Of course, there was the uh, pressure cooker bombs that we... I don't know. I can't remember because we've been doing so many shows recently. I can't remember if we made this into the news cycle or not. So I'm going to play a couple of these clips to bring up to speed. A Fox News alert update on a big story from last weekend. The man accused of setting off bombs in New York that injured about 30. No, we have not. And then bombs all over New Jersey remains unconscious and in the hospital. Meantime, the FBI stands by ready to question the suspect as part 
of their ongoing investigation. Brian Yenis led our coverage as the bombs went off down in Manhattan and joins us now with the very latest. Hi, Brian. Hi, Leland. Well, sources tell Fox News the New York and New Jersey bombing suspect Ahmad Rahami's medical condition is worse than investigators previously thought. He could be in the hospital for several more weeks recovering from gunshot wounds he received during that police shootout. Now, FBI agents are bedside waiting for him to be conscious to speak with him. This, as a source tells me, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol questioned Rahami in March 2014 upon his return from a 13-month trip to Pakistan, and they alerted the FBI following an interview with him. Now, what? this is significant because it's months before Rahami's father, Mohammed, says he warned the FBI in August of 2014. The father, father telling the New York Times he warned the feds that his son was watching al-Qaeda and Taliban jihadist videos and poetry, saying, quote, keep an eye on him, though he wasn't 100% sure he was a terrorist. The FBI investigated but found no ties to terrorism, uh, but they yeah. did not interview interview Rahami. Rahami's handwritten journals share a desire for martyrdom, anti-American rhetoric, and references to top al-Qaeda and ISIS propagandists. Man, that is convenient. Here's what you got to do, guys. Uh, this is a pro tip for the Unfilter Show. If you're going to do a crazy terrorism stunt and you want to have the biggest impact, make sure you really list all your thoughts down. In your own handwriting's best, I'll take something on your computer to make sure you label it appropriately, like death to America, something like that, because that'll guarantee you at least another couple of days of media coverage. Now, the FBI is looking into Rahami's frequent trips to Afghanistan and Pakistan, whether he had any contact or training from terrorist organizations. The Guardian reports Rahami spent time in a religious seminary in Pakistan, closely tied with the Taliban. Investigators are also zeroing in on his family, looking for any possible motives behind Rahami. Um, behind the bombings Rahami allegedly carried out. Now, Fox has told Rahami's family is cooperating and are not suspects. Lena, we'll bring you the... Did the media just equate the word religion to a bad thing? I would, I would imagine the implied uh, use there is that Christianity isn't. Taliban jihadist videos and poetry, but they did not interview Rahami. Rahami's handwritten journals share a desire for martyrdom, anti-American rhetoric, and references to top al-Qaeda and that? ISIS propagandists. Now, the FBI is looking into Rahami's frequent trips to go. Afghanistan and Pakistan, whether he had any contact or training from terrorist organizations. The Guardian reports Rahami spent time in a religious seminary in Pakistan. Pakistan closely tied with the Taliban. That's interesting that, yeah, okay. I understand why they're doing that, but that seems like a slippery slope. So this is the latest. This came out uh, 11 a.m. on CNN Today. We're now told that officials have tracked down who these two men are. They have now identified them. They were able to, using uh, surveillance and other methods, they were able to track them to a hotel in Manhattan where they were staying. They were visiting New York as tourists from uh, overseas, from outside the United States. And so they are now believed to be on. back outside the United States. They're have you noticed this? There's this, this whole, this whole like, domestic terrorism, bombing, all ISIS-inspired. It's, it's turned up to 11 right now. And not in the United States. This is why... Uh, it was widely believed that they had not stepped forward. They had not come forward uh, to say that they were the two men that were seen on, on, on camera, on, on the surveillance uh, of cameras there. The media is loving this. Between this and the debates, they're they've got to be making so much money right now. It's really something. I want to shift gears. I want to talk about something more, uh, more relevant to the bigger worldwide picture. 
it's hard to really cover this attack of the uh, aid convoy in Syria that is really now being claimed as the, the precipice for why the uh, ceasefire has fallen apart is this uh, Russian attack on this uh, on this uh, aid convoy. Big story. It's it's sort of being put as one of the most important uh, – If I hate, I hate to use this analogy, but one of the most important chess piece moves on the board in a long time. And there is, of course uh, – Reaction across the government when something like this happens at the White House level, at the Pentagon level, at the intelligence agencies level and of course at the bureaucrat level in the Senate, in the House. You have to have your committees. You have to get your answers and you have to lead the witness in a certain way to get the answers that you want. And I will bring in one of our favorite warmongers out there, Mr. Lindsey Graham, and listen as he leads the witness here and gets – the, the witness to essentially blame Russia and admit whatever Lindsay wants without having to really put himself on the line because he gives the guy a couch to sit in for every single statement. This is an audio clip uh, from a uh, C-SPAN stream, which I will play for you. Uh, Russia, did they bomb this convoy, UN convoy? Senator, we, that hasn't been concluded, but my judgment would be that they did. They're certainly responsible. Do you agree with me, Secretary Carter? And we've been friends for years, and I'm sorry, it's so contentious. I'm sure <laughs> you're a good man. Uh, yeah, yeah. What should we do about Russia? You know, stop right there. Stop right there. What's with mentioning the friendship? Honestly, why? What's with that? That's it. Almost that. Almost that. Almost is like a wink and a nod. Uh, Russia, did they bomb this convoy? UN convoy. Senator, we, that hasn't been concluded, but my judgment would be that they did. They're certainly responsible. Do you agree with me, Secretary Carter? And we've been friends for years, and I'm sorry it's so contentious. I, you, That's all right. You're a good man. Uh-huh. What should we do about Russia, who was given notice about this convoy? So he just said that they don't know it's Russia. That doesn't stop, Graham. Right into this next question. If they, in fact, bombed a U.N. convoy delivering humanitarian aid, what should we do about that? Now, remember, we bombed a Doctors, uh, Doctors Without Borders building, and we bombed them and bombed them and bombed them while they were calling every contact number they had in the military pleading for us to stop. So we are not we – we are, we are not without our own glass house in this scenario. So this is kind of also one of the ironies of this entire thing. Russia, who was given notice about this convoy, if they in fact bombed a U.N. convoy delivering humanitarian aid, Hilarious. what should we do about that? Well, I uh, if uh, let me put it even a little more harshly. Oh yeah, sure. I, uh, and the chairman said this. Uh, if I didn't make it clear, this uh, elegantly spoken man is uh, Ash Carter, the uh, secretary of uh, of. Um, uh, uh, let me put it more uh, harshly uh, uh, of uh, uh, of defense. What did we do about that? Well, I uh, if let me put it even a little more harshly. I, uh, and the chairman said this uh, earlier, the Russians are responsible uh, for this strike, whether they conducted it or not. Because I totally they agree taken- with And I think this is interesting. This reveals their thinking on the whole thing right here. Anyways, grok this. This is what I believe justifies some of their actions. I don't know where I don't know what their moral compass is in any of their actions. But I, I you can almost glean perhaps a bit of an insight here because there is an overall meta logic. Well, even even if uh, yeah, um, yeah, you know, uh, even if, uh, if Russia didn't uh, yeah, directly attack them, they probably uh, yeah, yeah, encouraged them to do it or uh, yeah, yeah, uh, supplied them with the ammunition or money. Yeah, uh, so Russia is still responsible. That'll be their logic. Well, Russia's kind of essentially ad, ad tertiarily connected, so therefore Russia's responsible. 
I'll I'll buy that. I absolutely will buy that. I'll even buy that in the downing of MH17. Hey, what do you say we all go in on that premise for a second? Russia is responsible for bombing the UN envoy, even if a Russian soldier or an intelligence officer wasn't directly involved. Let's say there are three steps removed. I would still, let's put the blame on Russia for MH17 and for this. Okay? Why not the DNC hacks while we're at it too? All right. So if we're going to apply this same guiding principle of, asso- of associating blame, for be, be it Russia in this case, then we should also apply this same guiding principle when it comes to the terrorist actions in Syria that are being backed by the U.S. and the U.S.'s allies. So the U.S. is thus responsible for all of the actions that these jihadis are doing in Syria. And if you want to go another way we could apply that logic, here's an idea. What about all these entrapment cases with the FBI? How many have we even documented on this show where the FBI supplies them with the vehicle transportation, the FBI supplies them with the bomb materials that are inert, or the FBI supplies them with the cell phone to dial it in, or the FBI brings them to the hotel? How many stories have we covered where the FBI is tangentially involved with a domestic terrorism attack that they just happened to stop? Well, if you apply this same logic, then the FBI is responsible. Seems pretty reasonable to me. Let's go with it. The chairman said this uh, earlier. The Russians are responsible uh, for this strike, whether they conducted it or not, because totally they have agree taken responsibility for the conduct of the Syrians by associating themselves with the Syrian regime. What they're supposed to do and what Secretary Kerry has been in. Div- now, I mean, could my point not be any more clear? If you are making that associ- that guilt by association, then the U.S. has an unbelievable amount of civilian blood on their hands. For the conduct of the Syrians by associating themselves with the Syrian regime, what they're supposed to do and what Secretary Kerry has been indefatigably pursuing uh, diplomatically is to uh, uh, get uh-huh. a true cessation of hostilities and get Assad to move aside in a political Transition. They're not doing and, their. And I, 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 that is that is what Secretary Kerry is trying to achieve. Is and if you look at it in the light of the uh, the political transition has to happen because that's what we have promised all these jihadis that we're arming and giving Toyotas to. Of course, you have to get Assad out because that's what they're killing each other for. They're killing their brothers over this guy. They, they, there is so much more at stake on the line for them, and Assad is a piece of that. And so if we all of a sudden now say, <laughs> guys, um, um, hey, you know all that shit about Assad? Yeah, let's chill out on that. Huh? We just made this deal with Russia. Let's chill out on that. Yeah, that's going to go over great. Yeah, that's going to work. Is that difficult? Absolutely. Does it look in the last few days like that's the direction it's headed? No. And oh. he said he said as much, but that's what he's trying to accomplish. Do you think what the Russians mean? bombed this convoy? Most likely. <laughs> Asking the Secretary of Defense, do you think the Russians bombed this convoy when he started to say, oh, oh, you know, I just, I can't. I, um, well, um, they're, they're, they're kind of responsible. Um, <laughs> Well, they're kind of responsible. So, of course, Lindsay didn't get the answer he wants. Lindsay wants the soundbite. 
So Lindsay's about to roll out the biggest couch in question history right here. This is this is like a red velvet on it. It's like it's like grandma's couch that had the vinyl on it for like, you know, the entire 35 years that she had the couch. And you finally grandma's passed on, unfortunately. But you got you. Let's take the wrap off the couch and it's brand new couch. It's like a brand new couch. That's this couch that Lindsey Graham is about to give Ash Carter. Direction it's headed? No, and he said he said as much, but that's what he's trying to accomplish. Do you think the Russians bombed this convoy? Most likely. Most likely. Most likely. I, I, I do, Senator. Last question: Is there a Plan B in terms of if diplomacy fails, a Plan B for Syria that has a military component? Code here. Code here. There is code. The code is if the diplomacy fails, if the diplomatic solution fails, i.e. if we can't get all of these mercenaries to do what we want and accomplish what we want, are we just going to go in there and clean up house? It's a military component. Senator, we have regarding done, Assad. We, we have done and will continue to do a wide range of planning. And should the president uh, change the policy objectives, we'll be prepared to support those. Blame goes on Obama at the end. That's the that's how you that's a that's a politician sandwich right there. You start with a weak accusation, you fill in a little false facts, and you end it on blaming on the guy above you. It's classic. <laughs> Speaking of the guy above you, I, I'm gonna I wanna save this one. I don't know, we might not be able to get it. Uh, I want to save this next clip for Chase. It's a, it's an Obama clip that I really want him to see, and I don't know. He might not make it in time. So, chat room, remind me at the end of overtime, if I start wrapping up and I haven't played the Obama clip yet, be sure you catch me. Don't let me wrap us up without playing it. So let's go. If we can't do Obama, let's do one better. Let's do one better. Let's do Clinton. And in fact, I can even do this transition. This, if this is a highly edited produced show right now, this is what I'd be... Well, it's highly produced, but it's not highly edited. I would say, and speaking of the Russians, Hillary Clinton had something to say about the Russians at this week's debate. <laughs> the United States is concerned about the threat of cyber attacks. Homeland Security Secretary Jake Johnson testified on Capitol Hill today. He said that 18 states are asking for help from the federal government to secure their voting systems from cyber attacks. There have been several hack attempts on voter databases. Johnson said only one or two have been successful. The Homeland Secretary also said he could not confirm one particular country was behind the hacking. And as you heard, Hillary Clinton threw out accusation again, saying that with clarity, Russia is behind the cyber attacks affecting the election process. Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama, a Trump supporter, told CNN this afternoon that he's had no briefing confirming Russia is hacking anybody. So why does Clinton keep pounding this? For more on this story, let's go to Katrina Vanden Heuvel, editor, part owner of The Nation magazine. Katrina, good to have you with us tonight. There, there just a, seems Thank to you. be a consistent narrative. And I hear it on Capitol Hill when I go up and interview people and cover stories that it's not journalistically sourced, but it's constantly in the chatter game amongst people in Washington and in the campaigns. And last night, that was affirmative when Hillary Clinton said that. Why is Russia being made out to be the scapegoat here? What's happening here as you see it? Well, in the last few years, the narrative, Ed, has been uh, the reality has been a deepening, dangerous new Cold War with Russia. So we have to listen to all of this 
narrative with that in mind. And I think last night you heard once again uh, the attempt to link Donald Trump to Putin, to Russia. Listen, Donald Trump is insult by stra strategy by insult. He's ignorant in many ways. It was an incoherent to a large extent foreign policy discussion. But what is going on is Hillary Clinton's foreign policy is hawkish. It's to the right of President Obama. Ironically, Donald Trump on certain issues is more in sync with yeah. President Obama. Yeah. No lethal weapons to Ukraine. Yeah, questions about NATO. More in sync than Hillary Clinton is. Mm -hmm. Yet, I think these people around Clinton and Clinton herself, you have these neoconservatives and liberal interventionist hawks who are the architects of a disaster in Iraq and a failed discredited bipartisan establishment consensus. Fuck the EU. Yes. Who did Newland work for when all that went down? How long has Newland how long has Newland's entire family been connected to the Clintons? <laughs> all right, so moving on. Why don't we stay in the Hillary Clinton thing for a bit? Uh, tangentially related to Hillary Clinton. I want to go back in time here. Now, I have two different clips to go over with you, and they're both from a little while ago, but Sidney Blumenthal was brought up during the debate, and both of these clips give you more background on Sidney. Let me see. In the paranoid imaginings go. of those who imagine a nefarious cabal surrounding Hillary Clinton, few figures loom as large as personal friend and one-time aide Sidney Blumenthal. God, I love Chris Matthews right there. Did you hear that? Did you hear how he just belittled anyone who says there's a cabal of people around Hillary Clinton? Now, post-Hillary Clinton email releases, that is such an arrogant son-of-a-bitch statement to make that is he is either literally the most uninformed person in media or he's shilling. People – here the saying goes, if you want to get to Hillary, you go to Uma. If you want to get to Hillary, you go to Uma. Okay, what? What does that mean? What's that saying mean? How about this one? How about this one? Who told Hillary Clinton that Gaddafi was killed? Was it somebody in the White House? No, it was Sidney Blumenthal. These people are the interface between Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, and the public. In the paranoid imaginings of those who imagine a nefarious cabal surrounding Hillary Clinton, few figures loom as large as personal friend and one-time aide Sidney Blumenthal whose private emails to then-Secretary of State became a focal point in the politically motivated furor over Benghazi. We have an ambassador and three other Americans who died waiting for help when, when she is emailing Sidney Blumenthal. Madam Secretary, he had unfettered access to you. And he used that access, at least on one occasion, to ask you to intervene on behalf of a business venture. This man upon whom provided you so much information on Libya had access to you in ways uh, that were very different than the access that a very senior diplomat had. Blumenthal, by the way, he is I mean, her Iago. If she's Othello, he's the Iago. He's the one that's whispering in her ear. And I'll tell you what, if you think you've heard about Sidney Blumenthal so far, wait till the next round. Blumenthal started his career as a journalist, working the Washington Post, the New Republic, and the New Yorker, where he was Washington editor, eventually going to work inside the Clinton White House in its second term. Now, he used those connections. He used those connections as a, to play the media masterfully for both the Clintons. He's been a longtime ally. Even something as, as seemingly innocuous as us referring to Sidney Blumenthal as her advisor. Oh, this is the other thing. Yeah, she... 
she for for as long as she could, she would control what people said and or how people referred to the people around here. So you it was in super bad form to refer to Uma. You weren't supposed to talk about Uma, and you could and you had to be very careful how you labeled Sydney in relation to Hillary. And that was a that was a big drama. Something as as seemingly innocuous as us referring to Sydney Blumenthal as her advisor. Remember, she got really upset when we used that term. You'll never guess which term the FBI used when they described Sidney Blumenthal and his relationship to her. Sidney Blumenthal, longtime friend and so-called advisor to the Clintons, is back in the spotlight as questions arise over a possible pay-to-play scandal at the Clinton Foundation. So just what was Blumenthal's role in all of this? Let's ask National Review columnist Jonah Goldberg. He joins us now. Hey, Jonah. So... Uh, Sidney Blumenthal, what was he doing at the foundation? What was his role? Well, I mean, that, this is a fascinating thing, right? Because we keep hearing that the Clinton Foundation, you know, James Carville the other day said, you will go to hell for criticizing the Clinton Foundation. That it was mm-hmm. this glorious thing that only helped uh, dying people and poor people all around the world. And yet they had uh, Sid Blumenthal on the payroll for $10,000 a month. Whoa. Um, from from to, from the moment Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State, and the reason that she he, that he had that job, the Clinton Foundation, was that not even the Obama administration wanted him around. But that's a key- and- ah, yes, yes, okay, yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, Hillary tried to get him a gig. She tried Hill shilled for Sid with Barry to try to get Sid employed in the White House. <laughs> and uh, I remember this because this was a big contention. It was like, well, uh, I thought everything was patched up between them, but this seems to be a rift. And the Obama White House didn't want to touch Sid with a 10-foot dick because he is toxic. Key point, Jonah. She wanted him working with her while Secretary of State after working with the Clintons for decades. He is so Sidney Blumenthal has a reputation because he's worked because he has been the some of the dirtiest mudslinging and he, and and then of, uh, he was the guy behind the birtherism movement. That's why he's now. now okay, that's not fair. He was the guy that started the birther – the he mm, – I don't even want to put that term on it because that term's newer and that's part of the problem. Sidney Blumenthal was involved in spreading the rumors about Obama's destination um, or origination, <laughs> the place of birth. So that's, that's, the, that's the real reason why Obama didn't want him in the White House. But the real ju- – but the justification and I, I, I'm absolute, I absolutely believe it as well is that he was too toxic. And they didn't want to be politically associated with somebody like that. And the Obama administration warned against it. They didn't want him there. Right. Well, they didn't want him there for a bunch of reasons, in part because one of Sidney Blumenthal's true gifts, what he's a prodigy at, is, is peddling nasty rumors in the press. And during the primaries, he had done that against Obama, and too many people on the Obama team hated Blumenthal. Other people just hated Blumenthal because he's such a hateable guy. But regardless, <laughs> the thing is... He then goes to the Clinton Foundation, and they're taking this money that's supposed to go to poor kids, and instead they're paying him to essentially be, his official job description was to be a, uh, highlight the legacy of President Clinton. Again, so that is my favorite job description ever. And I want yeah, you, which is for, when I set up my foundation, Jonah, I want you, that, that's going to be your job. For t- <laughs> highlight the legacy of President Clinton. In other words, <laughs> hired hitman. A, uh, highlight the legacy of President Clinton. Jesus. Again, that is my favorite job description ever. 
And I want yeah, you, which is for, when I set up my foundation, Jonah, I want you, that, that's going to be your job. For $10,000 a month, you're going to highlight the legacy of Clayton. That's ridiculous. I'll, I'll have this, I'll, I'll have this great job? yellow highlighter, and I'll just highlight it all day long. <laughs> but the, the problem is, is that not all, but he didn't really do that. What he was doing was he was running this sort of off-book intelligence right. mm. consulting business for Hillary Clinton. We know this from the emails. He sent dozens of emails about Libya, using contacts, off-book, um, all while having his overhead covered by the Clinton Foundation, which just highlights, and this is one small aspect of it, that the Clinton Foundation, yeah, it does good things, charitable, nice things, but that's like that's a business expense you, for the foundation. You it's say purpose. what does that tell you? Was to keep his pay the Clinton payroll up and running for another campaign. And you say you know you don't you don't you say in your piece you don't need to look for the quid pro quo here. Why not? Well, look, I mean, yeah. So everyone's looking in these emails for some proof that the Clintons took a took a donation, like it was a bribe, and then granted some favor, initiated some policy or something like that. The meetings themselves are the quo, right? Right. If, if, if people go to uh, f political fundraisers every every week to have just their picture taken with with a candidate, or pay that tens of thousands of dollars of for a plate, they get this ability to say, "Oh yeah, when I was having coffee with Hillary Clinton right. the other week." That is a value. These meetings with the Secretary of State are of enormous value, right. particularly in, in overseas. And I'm going to send you the contract for your new job. Yeah, exactly. Jonah, so Sid, not only did Sid or Sidney, uh, all Sid as uh, Hill calls him, not only did he get a sweetheart deal where he went from a Clinton staffer to the foundation and now he's being paid by the Clinton campaign. And you can probably imagine that if she ends up in office, he's going to make some money as well there. I, I don't know if she could take the political heat of directly linking him, but I can imagine something will work out for him. But that's just one of many. In fact, I believe it even goes back to when she was senator. I know this for Uma. Uma and uh, Cheryl Mills, others linked with Hillary. A, a, a rather long list of people either get put in positions of where she has political office, like when she was senator, or when she was secretary of state, or when she launched a campaign. And anytime there's a gap, if there's not a role for them, they get a job at the Clinton Foundation. Or when she was no longer Secretary of State, Uma no longer had a job, so she went back to the Foundation. She had a job there. Or actually, she just had a job at both—she maintained a job at both places. So there is—it's not a revolving door so much as there is a guaranteed, well-paid position with benefits, protection, and essential— Political liability coverage. Look at Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Not, not a perfect example. Cheryl Mills is a better example, but I think Debbie's a good point example because you're more familiar with her. She lost her job at the DNC, but she also became the global campaign manager for Hillary Clinton. And she's going to be, mark my words, episode 206, September 28th, 2016. She'll be the reason that Florida goes to Hillary. Assuming it does. So Hillary makes sure to take care of a certain core group. So when Chris Matthews, or not Chris Matthews, what's that guy's name? I think I called him Chris Matthews, but he's not that. <clears throat> Can't remember that guy's name. But that guy on MSNBC. I, that guy, when he mocks the cabal around Hillary Clinton, it's so uninformed. Hayes, thank you. It's Chris Hayes. Chatroom, you are the best. You know that? You are the best. 
You are the best. All right, so I want to talk about this particular story. This came out today. Jed Johnson was getting uh, interviewed as we played earlier. And, uh, and this is a clip that astonished me. And I, 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 don't, I don't often play Ted Cruz clips, but damn if he didn't ask some great questions in this hearing. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Secretary, welcome. Thank you for testifying. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, on Tuesday of this week, this committee's oversight subcommittee conducted a hearing on the systematic scrubbing of law enforcement and intelligence materials. What? Your department was invited to attend, and the Department of Homeland Security refused to attend the hearing. Oh, what? At that hearing, we heard testimony that described... He lifts up a giant graphic in the background. A systematic effort if one compares, for example, the 9-11 Commission report. Jet gives him a look of, I'm not interested in you, child, and you don't threaten me at all. He even yawns slightly, scratches his chin, and then leans on it as he sort of looks on at Ted Cruz with a bit of contempt. An obvious example of, you have no political hold over me. I'll just sit here and watch your little political theater. But I think Ted Cruz is very cleverly bringing an awareness to the American public in a open session. The word jihad appears in that report 126 times. The word Muslim appears in that report 145 times. The word Islam appears in that report 322 times. And yet, since that 9-11 Commission report, different policies have come into effect. And as a matter of systematic policy, those terms are no longer allowed to be used in this administration. The FBI counterterrorism lexicon uses the word jihad zero times. The National Intelligence Strategy of 2009 uses the word jihad zero times. The Strategic Implementation Plan to Prevent Violent Extremism of 2011 uses the word zero times. The National Intelligence Strategy in 2014 uses the word zero times. We also heard testimony from a former employee of the Department of Homeland Security, Phil Haney, that in October 2009, more than 800 Customs and Border Patrol documents were ordered modified, scrubbed, or deleted to remove references to jihad or the Muslim Brotherhood or other similar references. Was Mr. Haney's testimony that the Department of Homeland Security ordered over 800 documents in CBB altered or deleted, was that testimony accurate? I have no idea. I don't know who Mr. Haney is. I wouldn't know him if he walked in the room. So you have not investigated whether your department ordered documents to be modified in 2009 to remove references to jihad, radical Islamic terrorism, the Muslim Brotherhood. You, you have not investigated that question. No, I have not taken the time to investigate what Mr. Hainan says, no. And when the United States Senate Judiciary Oversight Committee committed, uh, conducted a hearing on that, did you or anyone in your staff inquire into those issues? Uh, no, but you have me right here right now to ask questions of. So but apparently your answer is you don't know. I am asking you, in 2009 and again in 2012, Mr. Haney testified there were two purges, and that was the word he used, purge at the Department of Homeland Security to remove references to radical Islamic uh, terrorism. Uh, is it accurate uh, that the uh, records were changed? Uh, uh, same, same answer I gave you before. I have no idea, sir. 
You have no knowledge of any records being changed to Department of Homeland Security. Same answer. I have no idea, sir. Would it concern you if it was accurate? Senator, I find this whole debate to be very interesting, but I have to tell you, when I was at the Department of Defense giving the legal sign-off on a lot of drone strikes, I didn't particularly care whether the baseball card said Islamic extremist or Vaughn extremist. I think this is very interesting, but it makes no difference to me in terms of who we need to go after. That's your Department of Homeland Security right there. The guy that was looking at baseball cards to decide who to kill with drones. That's Jeff. Maybe that's why he got a huge promotion. What an interesting world we live in. That's his that's his that's his quote. That's his quote. He made it legally okay for them to kill those people over there and his his payback was a massive political upgrade. I want to play one of the moments from the debate that I liked quite a bit. He also raised the issue of your emails. Do you want to respond to that? I do. You know, I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, and <laughs> if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, but I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake. And I take responsibility for that. Mr. Trump. That was more than a mistake. That was done purposely. Okay, that was not a mistake. That was done purposely. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted, when you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the Fifth, I think it's disgraceful. And believe me, this country thinks it's disgraceful. It really thinks it's disgraceful. Oh, I think that was actually one of his better moments right there. All right. Can I warm you up a little bit for the debate, or are you just totally sick of it? Did we do too much? <sighs> yeah, I know. We did a lot, didn't we? How about this one? This is kind of funny. You have not released your tax returns, and, and the reason nominees have, have released their returns for decades is that voters will know if their potential president owes money to... This, by the way, the music isn't being added by me, uh, in, the, in case you were wondering. Uh, it is being added by CNN. This is how they talk to the young people because they want you to share these ones on Facebook. These are the Millennium Edition uh, videos they put out. And, of course, it's the hard-hitting ones. Who you know, owes it to and any business conflicts. Uh, don't sure. Americans have a right to know if there are any conflicts of interest? I don't mind releasing. I'm under a routine audit and it'll be released. And as soon as the audit's finished, it'll be released. You're perfectly free to release uh, your taxes during an audit. And so the question, does the public's right to know outweigh your personal... Well, I told you, I will release them as soon as the audit. Look, I've been under audit almost for 15 years. Whether or not in a place like Chicago, you do stop and frisk, which worked very well. Mayor Giuliani is here. It worked very well in New York. Stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional in New York because it, it largely singled out black and Hispanic young men. No, it, you're wrong. The <laughs> argument is that it is, it's a form of racial profiling. All right, you get the idea. It's a lot of uh, Trump versus uh, what's-his-face there, uh, Brywin. Oh, I mean Esther. I mean Esther. Mm. <clears throat> All right, while we're doing cuts, you might enjoy this one. Just how badly did President Obama underestimate the threat of ISIS? But they do not threaten our national existence. 
their focus is not uh, on attacking the U.S. homeland. By overinflating their importance. I thought it was a regional problem. Many of those groups uh, are not particularly sophisticated. Not every regional terrorist organization is automatically a threat to us that would call for a major offensive. Do you believe ISIS is on the defensive? In large parts of Iraq it is. That don't pose a significant or immediate threat. We don't need to build them up. The analogy we use around here sometimes, and I think is accurate, is if a JV team puts on Lakers uniforms, that doesn't make them Kobe that's Bryant. How uh, that's how we roll. Yeah, the rest of the clip's not bad. I don't think they're gaining strength. But- there's the rest of the, it's pretty good, but you get the point. I I I, uh, I know uh, you non-millenniums out there. You don't like it with the music and the quick cuts, so I got to keep it short for you. I got to keep it short for you. All right, I gotta I gotta play something that is uh, it's a little sad, but it's something that happened here right in my backyard. You hear that ice machine back there? You hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? That's Mr. Chase. You hear that? <laughs> He's still going, everybody. Uh, all right. So this right here, this is a little local news. It's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, sad, uh, and it, it happened uh, just miles from where I was camping at the time. Well, now Fox News alert: the man accused of getting down five people inside a Washington shopping mall is set to appear in court in about 30 minutes. Police say he opened fire inside a Macy's store, and officers catching up with him on Saturday night after a 20-hour manhunt. Dan Springer's live in Burlington, Washington, with the very latest. Dan. Yeah, Jenna, we just did get the uh, arrest warrant for Arjan Satine, and they do lay out five counts of premeditated first-degree murder. Bail has been set for this defendant at $2 million. He is expected to be in court for his initial appearance in about 20 minutes. We're getting a little clearer picture of the suspected mall shooter, but a clear motive is still a mystery. In these charging papers, they mentioned that he had a falling out with his father the night before the shooting and that that father's rifle was missing. Now, people who knew him in high school say he was socially awkward, loved to play violent video games, and had a fascination with guns. Department yesterday, they also interviewed an ex-girlfriend who used to work at a Macy's store, but not the one where the shooting took place Friday night. We also know Satine had family problems with a history of assaulting his stepfather. It's been interesting to uh, to watch a real local story with the unfiltered lens, and that lens being the the one where you watch how the media covers it. You listen to the police reports. You know, they initially said that he escaped on foot. Uh, and so all of the neighborhoods, which includes friends of mine, were put yeah, on lockdown. Yeah, I have, I have friends that live about five minutes away. Yeah, yes, exactly. Me too. Yeah. And uh, their whole their whole house was put on lockdown. They were told not to leave their homes until uh, an official came by and told them it was safe to, to walk outside. And so they were, they were shitting their pants. Yeah. And then it turns out, oh, he drove home to Oak Harbor. Yeah. Um, it, of course, it was first reported that he was a Mexican. Yeah. Turns out he's Turkish. Yeah. There's lots of little interesting details that are, are the, one of the first things they reported was that his girlfriend worked at Macy's. Yep. Turns out she worked at Macy's at a totally different mall. Yeah. Um, they just found him walking down the street. They talk about how, um, you know, he has a history of mental illness and how they that actually the hospital that he was in tried to have him voluntarily yeah. held and yeah. they refused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's been it's been. You know, it's funny because, uh, so I was at uh, Grandy Creek when this happened, which is just down the road, highway, just down, down Highway 20 apiece from Burlington. Yep. Uh, in fact, you come through Burlington to basically get to any kind of civilization. Yeah. And um, so it's been really interesting to see sort of the community come together right there. And uh, it's pretty sad, but, uh, you know, these things, these things, what can you say, Chase? What, what well, can yeah, you say about I it? mean, it, 
it's sad that it's now becoming more more commonplace. Is it though? It, well, I, I actually, to, to, I, to our, I don't. Is it historically? Is it though? I don't know. To our perspective, it's definitely it's definitely more common. I think so. I mean, I don't remember growing up hearing about more and more of these kind of type shootings. Uh, now, granted, when I was growing up, there was more fundage into mental health, for example. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And that, I mean, you look at that statistically, that has trended down, and these kind of violent situations have trended up. I mean, you also look at the – now, I'm not saying that this gentleman here uh, was opioid addicted or anything, but you look at that uh, you know, addiction you know, trending up. And there's all these weird things at play, and I, and I tend to look I, at the numbers uh, in it and just look at that and, so and kind of analyze that. I, here's, here's, the, here's the thing that – Here's the thing that that, that, that that tweaks my head. I go a little Freakonomics on this a little bit. Um, statistically, shootings are down. Violence like this is down. But at the same time, there's still like thousands of shootings happening in the U.S. That, oh, yeah. Like there was a big one in what? Chicago, wasn't there? Or something well, like that. Lots. Yeah, totally. That's a huge issue. Yeah, yeah. That, okay. So let's take Chicago. Chicago is a great example yeah, of, totally. of an area where this kind of thing is is much more commonplace. Yeah. It might be more one-on-one violence and not like a mass shooting. It might be uh, gang violence in a mall where there's a shooting. But it's extremely common to the tune of thousands. Yeah. So uh, it seems. So I, I I have to question if it's if it's a couple of things, if it's not now uh, partially access to media of the coverage is so much more available because of Twitter and Facebook and everybody having a cell phone and every store having surveillance cameras and it's not just that even. It's they're no longer even on VHS or Betamax or some weird tape. They're MP4 files on a hard drive that you can send off to an email contact in in five minutes. Right. So the the availability to actually visually uh, demonstrate something here yep. is way off the charts than it was even ten five years ago. I I had I had a system I worked with the school district and I watched them transform from a tape based system to a hard drive system where they had uh, cops. On on campus, they could pull up the system, type in a time, boop boop, click, cu- pull out an MP4 clip, and they send it off in an email. And this was five years ago, maybe. Yeah. So this is this is super 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 available now at reasonable prices, and there's a lot of media interest. So I I don't know I I actually I I actually do wonder if it is a bit of exposure versus. I don't know. I think it's both actually. Yeah, and I it's think- also an addiction to the twenty four seven news cycle. Uh, where you know you have so many hours in the day that you want to fill, and you know these news organizations. Remember, they're they're after the ratings and the bottom line. And as soon as something happens like this, you know, hey, they're going to publicize it and they're going to talk about it, uh, and they're going to do it until the next big thing comes along. Can you help me break down this next? This is our last overtime clip. There's right. there's another half dozen in there that I I think we'll just have to we'll have to just say it's in the supporter sink. By the way. Supporter Sync is going to be getting a migration, hopefully, to LibreVault once the project stabilizes out. We're still watching it. Well, you know, the Supporter Sync, you know, for the winter, it does migrate. So, <laughs> oh, and you know something else? I, I know I'm late to the party, but I just started playing it's, with. It's fall, by the way. Yeah. I started playing with, uh, with um, I think they're not even called this. I don't know what they're called, but they're essentially tags on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, they've they've been yeah, I know, I know, but I've never really. Welcome. So here's a problem we have: is people join, they become a, a Patreon supporter, and they're like, I don't see where the supporter sync is at, and the problem is it's just way down in the timeline. Oh, that's true. So uh, I I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to start tagging some of the posts more relevant for our supporters, so they'll be able to filter on like 
live stream categories yeah, or sync cool. stuff. So yeah. when we do start re- re-documenting how the supporter sync works, we will I'll tag that stuff. But if you want to look right now, if you're a, if you're a supporter and you want to get access to any of our clips and more that we don't even get to play on air, uh, if you do scroll down in that feed, you will find it. So uh, help me break down this last clip, and this will be available in the supporter sync if you guys like it too. It, you know, you got to look at the op- optics of this. This is this is Obama's last trip to the UN before he's out of here, and he wants to leave them with a sort of a legacy message. Okay. A, a lot of times when you look back at like pres- historical presidential clips. Their last speech at the UN often has really interesting nuggets in it that really kind of reveals like their genuine fears about maybe the military industrial complex or about uh, military intervention in the case of Kennedy or or finance in the case of Kennedy. There's all kinds of interesting glimpses you can get about that president by watching one of their last speeches at the UN. So I'm going to play Obama's was pretty, pretty generic. I'm going to play the last few moments for you. And I would like your help in sort of understanding what he's saying here. But we have to put our money where our mouths are. And we can only realize the promise of this institution's founding to replace the ravages of war with cooperation if powerful nations like my own accept constraints. Sometimes I'm criticized in my own country. Now, hold on a second. So he's saying this institution would be the U.N., and he's saying the only way for the U.N. to be successful is if some nations accept constraints like my own. To replace the ravages of war with cooperation if powerful nations like my own accept constraints. He, what he's saying, I mean constraints seems like we're too out of control. No, I think what constraints means is there must be it's, – it's, 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 it's code for – there must be concessions we should make in order to comply with a global order. Right. And that's what it sounds like to me. There must be concessions that need to be made, like perhaps it's the Second Amendment. <laughs> Maybe it's something to do about speech or, or something like that. It's concessions that have to be made. So just listen to it with that in mind. And we can only realize the promise of this institution's founding to replace the ravages of war with cooperation if powerful nations like my own accept constraints. Sometimes I'm criticized in my own country for professing a belief in international norms and multilateral institutions, but I am convinced that in the long run, giving up some freedom of action, not giving up our ability to protect ourselves or pursue our core interests. Let's go back a bit. So do you know what a multilateral agreement is? Do you know what that <laughs> mean? I didn't, I didn't really know either. It, 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 a multilateral system or agreement or cooperation is government, private industry, GMO, not GMOs, uh, uh, what are the uh, oh, government, non-government, yeah. NGOs, yeah. Uh, the, the, all of these, these guys all working together for a common good is called is, is what is referred to in political speak, speak as multilateral. That and, means government and private industries working together. And I find it ironic. or you know fascism. And I find it ironic. You know, here's the president of the United States, which uses a uh, a system. You know, our our democratic system that we have to here. get this office right. The system that we have to get this office is not instituted anywhere else in the world. And as a matter of fact, 
when the United States goes into other countries and tries to set up governments and and that sort of thing, you know what kind of government style that they set up in other countries? A parliamentary style. Yeah. Uh, you know, a representative style. So here's not a que- this style, which I so, here's, a, yeah. here's a question I have for you. Um, so isn't he essentially saying that the system for America hasn't worked? And and that they need to sort of tap it down a bit and, and you know, go, go okay, guys, let's all get along and, and get in these multilateral agreements so that way we're all economically linked so we don't have an incentive for war. The principle here being, well, if we all are – if we all connect our economies, if we all connect our businesses and our trade and our IP rights, you know, things that TPP right, yeah, helped yeah, solve. Yeah. If we connect the gold all – The standard, if you will. The gold standard, if you will. If we yeah. connect all of these things – then we'll all be so interlinked that we can't fight. But that also, to me, is another way to describe a new world order. <laughs> she took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, and that's how you have a new world order, one order under the vision of the flag of the United Nations. So listen to this one more United time. the Federated Planet. And, and, the pro- and I guess before we go any further, before I forget to mention this, the reason why I think this is a horrible idea uh, because in conception, if you're economically linked, you're less incentivized to to uh, have a military battle. That seems sound, except for uh, United States is its own unique flower, along with Canada and all of us over here, like in Mexico, where we're now broadcasting from this week. It is we are our own unique flower. We have oceans on the both side of us. We're not like you. We're not like you across the pond. You also are your own unique flower because you got these guys all around your border. You can all move about. You have your own cute language that you pretend is the real language. You're totally different than us. And the people over in China, as as Trump says, the people in China, they're totally different too. They have their own different uh, uh, geographical issues. They have their own local issues. And those people in Russia, they're different too. They're not different in a bad way. They're different in a beautiful way. But they're, they're your own unique snowflake. And they all have their own interests. They all have their own problems, and they all have their own fiefdoms. There's just no way our dumb, hairless monkey civilizations could ever make this work. Belief in international norms and multilateral institutions, but I am convinced that in the long run, giving up some freedom of action, not giving up our ability to protect ourselves or pursue our core interests, but binding ourselves to international rules over the long term enhances our security. And I, th- I, I I don't know what that was right there, but I think that was not the best going away message, Obama. You mean no mic drop moment? Come on, Obama. You you had your chance. At the UN when you got that marble behind you. And good night, everybody. Boom. Everybody knows you got to right. show up with a nice prop, maybe a cartoon bomb. That's how you do the he's UN. He's laying the groundwork for Hillary. That's what he's trying to do. <laughs> oh, oh. Anyways, thank you to our patrons. I will give a special plug out there if you've enjoyed the Unfiltered program. If you have a, if you have just kind of a little bit of an idea of how hard we're working for you, we'd really appreciate your support. Plus, you get access to that entire back Patreon feed. Patreon.com slash Unfilter. Thanks, everybody. Oh, yeah, the New World Order. <laughs> That's close. Not quite there. You need a little more mustaches is what you need. That's right. All right, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. Bye.
Fucking you. <laughs>